Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. can impeach the president and one of those crimes that he could potentially be impeached for would potentially if if there was evidence uh, do you think the judiciary committee should start impeachment hearings do you Mm -hmm. think they're going to move ahead with impeachment should we impeach the Mueller report could be a roadmap a roadmap roadmap a roadmap a roadmap a 10 episode roadmap for impeachment impeachment. perhaps there's enough evidence here to start impeachment proceedings impeachment proceedings immediate impeachment proceedings start impeachment proceedings impeachment for impeachment impeachment proceedings should be impeached. Impeaching the sensitive issue of impeachment, impeachment proceedings, impeachment, but impeachment with impeachment, issue of impeachment, and if they begin impeachment. He can be impeached. Impeachment? It's impeach or not impeached. In terms of impeachment. And then there's impeachment. Talking about impeachment. Perhaps of impeachment. On the impeachment question. A conversation about impeachment. Impeachable. Impeachability. Potentially impeachable things. Sort of impeachable looking. The thing that provided the predicate for impeachment. The question of impeachment is squarely on the table. And a way to get to the truth is an impeachment exercise. That impeachment is a remedy. But the avenue for that is impeachment. Go ahead. Move ahead with the move of impeachment. Go for impeachment. Impeach the president. Let's impeach. Because that's what impeachment means. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 25th of April, year of our Lord, 2019. Yeah, I'm a day late. And I apologize for that. But wife had other plans, so we had flooring company in our house for like three days. And uh never been through the flooring thing. It kind of sucks. It's a, it's a long process. It's a really long process. And worse, as you can hear by the friggin' birds chirping, it's echoey. So my acoustics are going to be definitely off. The whole house is laminate now. Beautiful laminate. Barnwood. Looks really good. Um, but I couldn't get a podcast because I couldn't get into my room. Because I did the whole house. So, Anywho, today we're going to do a violent left uh, basic fire for effect on Mueller. It's going to be the good, the bad, the ugly. And uh, that was uh, the movie reference. Not a very good one. And uh, then a news and social media nuggets. Uh, not a super long podcast. I-, I wanted to talk about a couple things. We get to it today in Nashville. We are having the NFL draft. We'll do the top fifty prospects. A short video that's made to audio for a lighter fare today because it's in our my glorious city of Nashville. Turned on the TV today and old. Mike and Mike, which is now Golik and Wingo, they were from the beautiful downtown Nashville. Thought that was kind of neat. Um, and uh, I also watched SEAL Team. Uh, you know, when I was in service, I didn't watch a lot of <clears throat> military shows. Kind of thought it was stupid. My wife wouldn't let me either because I was just picking them apart. That's not a clear room. That's not how you do that. That's not you know, I was kind of Mr. Buzzkill. I'm an army guy. Look at me, dumbass. But SEAL Team has progressively gotten better, and I ain't going to lie. This morning's one, first and foremost, took me back to Operation Anaconda because they did a close air support, and I was like, holy fuck, that looked real. And they addressed what, you know, we addressed a couple podcasts ago about the VA and vets committing suicide. And uh, they had a guy do it on the show. And I didn't see it coming. Um, I really didn't see it coming. 
but um, they did a great job. Um, it's one of the rare times I tweet a TV show and tell them, "Hey, man, good work. That was that was impressive." Um, but they did. So if you haven't seen that that episode, uh, it's a ball buster if you're a vet because it even bring, they're bringing home a fallen guy who was left and they had to go secure his body. Um, the team barely made it out, and one of their guys got left behind, which is something that doesn't happen. <clears throat> but um, long story short, great show, great show. So, so let's go into our violent left. Um, we're going to start it with uh, Sri Lanka, which you know you're not going to be surprised. I don't have any sound bites, not any media ones. They just kind of ignored it. Police don't win. The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. الشيطان نزل بكل جنوده ما كانش عمل في الكنيسة اللي عملوا الإخوان المسلمين نهب تخريب الكنيسة كانت تحفة فنية وفاخرة This is happening in Egypt It's happening in Iraq It's happening in Syria It's happening in Lebanon It's happening in all other countries in the Middle East So ISIS by now has uh, claim responsibility. There's even pictures of this slick guy. He was well-to-do. It's the Islamist way. It doesn't matter. It's not some dirt poor guy. It's everybody over there. If they get to the wrong side of Muslim, this is what happens. Put out a fl- uh, flyer. We will not make you cry of blood. Enemies of religion and the first of the clouds shall fall upon the rivers of your unclean blood with... Buddha, the Pope, and Trump, and everybody burning, yeah. 
Yeah. So we had 359 people killed, 500 injured, nine suicide bomber attacks, three churches, four hotels, and a block of flats. 39 foreigners were killed, including eight Brits, several Americans, one Dutch, one Chinese. 40 suspects have been arrested. Uh, authorities named local Islamic terror group National Thawali Jamaa as being responsible, and ISIS claims the suicide bombers were soldiers of the Islamic State. Yeah. How WAPO cover it? Christians were murdered in Sri Lanka for being Christians. Washington Post makes it about the far right in Europe. It's not been even 48 hours since the deadly Sri Lanka Easter bombings, which targeted Christians and claim an estimated 290 lives. And at least one major American newsroom has already found a way to make the attack about right-wing fear-mongering. Christianity under attack, Sri Lanka church bombing stoked far-right anger in the West. That was the headline. The attacks which targeted a religious minority in a predominantly Buddhist country also resonated abroad, especially in Europe, wrote, wrote uh, Post Adam Taylor and Rick Noak. To some, it was further proof that Christians in many parts of the world are under attack. Several churches were targeted in Sunday's bombing attack, along with hotels and banquet halls. In one Catholic church in Ngambo, more than 100 people were killed. The attacks took place on Easter, one of the most important dates on the Christian calendar. I'm not going to read the rest. It's, you know, it's it's what they do. They downlight, they downgraded it, wasn't that big a deal. And then the left comes out in America. Jeremy Mikhail Saliba, I literally never heard the phrase, Eastern, Easter worshipers. It's called Christians. Hillary Clinton, on this holy weekend for many faiths, we must stand united against hatred and violence. I'm praying for everyone affected today's horrific attacks on Easter Worshippers, Barack Obama, Easter worshiper, Julian Castro, Easter worshippers, David Levitt, happy zombie Jesus day, he's a reporter, Awijan Ekache, Easter worshippers, she has the whole list, Jared Polis, Greg Stratton, Mayor Brian Bowman, Aunt Emil Barra, Representative Dan Kitty, and the ones we talked about. Parker Malloy, a journalist. What an absurd, early stupid non-controversy. Oh, they didn't say the special word that I wanted. Chill, guys. They said that because they were referring to people at an Easter service. It really does go without saying that people attending Eastern services are Christians. Parker Malloy, same person. Not sure I'd refer to trans people when speaking about them in the past. Here's a guide. See, these are the people. You expect people to say specific words, 95 pronouns, but you can't say Christian because if you said it, and it maybe make people research things. BBC 2013, are there really 100,000 new Christian martyrs every year? They break it down, it's only 90,000. 90,000. Yeah. Just this week, man arrested carrying gasoline can at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Then if you do a little more research, the 50 countries where it's most dangerous to follow Jesus. Because it's all over the world. Our media ignored this. Rolling Stone put out, Notre Dame burning feels like an act of liberation. That's their article. But we just went through Christ Church in New Zealand and every Christian on the planet was to blame. Every white person was to blame. Islamophobia was to blame. 
it's like a little ruckus compared to 400 people. Understand, that's who they are. I say it on the show all the time, they hate Christians. Because Christians vote conservative. Conservatives are bad. That's their math problem. Your religion is evil because you don't vote or think like we do. They're tootling out fucking buttleg who's a gay Christian, supposedly, who doesn't follow anything in the Bible, and he's their sign now that this is what Christianity is. All those other people, they're just white supremacists. Because he's for gay marriage, because he's gay. He doesn't believe anything in the Bible. He's not a Christian. He's just using it, trying to get votes. He's about as much a Christian as Obama is. Because Obama couldn't say Christian. He could say Easter fucking worshipers. I mean, I hate to be late to the party, but some bitch, dude. Are you fucking serious? 400 Christians get killed. 200 were killed when all this shit in Christ Church came down. You don't even report this shit. But we spend a week about Christ Church Cathedral or Christ Church freaking uh, mosque. And it is a testament to how horrible right-wing violence is. Right-wing violence. Oh, interesting. So, let's move on to Omar. In the early 1990s, the East African country of Somalia was rocked by civil war and subsequent famine. The U.S. sent troops there not to conquer land or steal resources, but purely to save lives. And we did that. We saved about 100,000 Somalis. That, by the way, was 1993, not 1992. I misremembered it. Seems like just yesterday. But Somali-American Congresswoman Ilhan Omar is not grateful for what the U.S. did on behalf of the country she was born in. No, she thinks American troops were the bad guys in that conflict. A couple of years ago, she responded on Twitter to a user who was remembering the 19 American troops killed during the Battle of Mogadishu. She wrote this, quote, In his selective memory, he forgets to also mention the thousands of Somalis killed by American forces that day, exclamation point. Hashtag not today, Satan. Sergeant Major Kyle Lamb fought that day in the Battle of Mogadishu. He's the author of the book, Leadership in the Shadows, and we're happy to have him tonight. Thanks very much uh, for coming on tonight. Thanks Sergeant for having Lamb. me. When you read Ilhan Omar's remarks about the battle that you fought in, what's your response? Well, normally it's humorous, but at this point it's uh, kind of disturbing because, I mean, first of all, she wasn't there. She'd already left the country. We were there, and uh, I've never heard numbers quite that inflated. I mean, we wish we could have done that much damage, but that's that didn't happen as far as I know. Well, I guess what's so striking is, and the U.S. has done things I disagree with around the world, but in this case, it seemed like the mission was purely altruistic. We were only there to help. We didn't take Somalia. I mean, did you steal gold or natural resources when you were there? <laughs> no, we didn't do that. We were trying to take out Adid because he was a clan leader that had, uh, the Habegeter clan had kind of taken over the town, they were taking the food, uh, any of the, the aid that we were giving to Somalia, uh, also weapons, and they're running drugs. Cot is a big, uh, yes. big drug over there. And uh, he needed to be eliminated so that we could get peace back in that town. So we were actually there to help some of the, the lesser tribes or the lesser clans, such as her uh, clan, which, you know, obviously they were already gone. But, uh, yeah, we were there to try to do the right thing. And, and you know, the other thing is, we didn't say, hey, let's pick out Somalia as a great place to go hang out. Uh, 
Yeah. The president at the time, President Clinton, said this is where we're going. This is what the mission is. And our commander said, Roger that. We can do it. And, and we all had signed on the line. That's why we serve. And you can make a difference when you go to those countries. Does it strike you as odd that and I don't want to pick on Ilhan Omar, but she's a member of Congress. And so her statements get a lot of attention. Here's someone who was brought to the United States at public expense simply because we're a kind country that accepts a lot of refugees. And rather than being grateful for that, she spent the rest of her life attacking this country. Why? Well, as they would say down here in Tennessee, bless her heart. <laughs> I mean, we, we want her to understand that she's living, she's living large now because of, of her family being able to escape the atrocities of Mogadishu. And, yeah, it's, it's very disturbing. We watched our friends get drugged through the streets by the people that she says are her people. And uh, we got to watch that on TV once we'd uh, exfilled from the crash site that I was at. And we got back to our hangar. That's what we got to watch. So, yeah, we take it uh, we take it personal when you when you attack us like that. Um, once again, it's not surprising to hear that. There's been kind of a long list of things she said that I don't know if she met him or not, but she she continues to say them. So, uh, yeah, I feel I feel bad for her. Yeah, I do too. What about the families of the Americans who were killed there? I mean, this. What do you think they think of this? I, I haven't talked to any of the families, but they. That doesn't take her saying something to to remind them of what they deal with every day. Right. Whenever they go to a baseball game and they, they hear the national anthem and they look at the flag, that dad's not there with his kids. Um, yeah. That's a story that not just from Somalia, but all the other conflicts that I've been in and that I haven't been in, that's the story of the soldiers. So that's what we deal with on a daily basis. And, uh, and really, you know, we just want people to... To, uh, to help us out when we get back, which is we need a mission. We need you know, guys to get help if they have drug or alcohol issues, which uh, sometimes can be prevalent in the military if, if guys are suffering with uh, injuries that they try to continue to fight with. Uh, so we try to get them the help that we can. That's what we want to do. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the soldier story from the last 10,000 years. Kind of the last thing you need is a lecture from people like her. Sergeant Major, thank you very much for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you again. God bless America. That was Kyle Lamb, because, yeah, we're back into the same old shit. Ileana Omar slammed U.S. soldiers of all Black Hawk down. Shut up, phone. The United States Army was the villain in the Black Hawk Down incident in Somalia, U.S. Representative Ileana Omar wrote in a Twitter post. In his selective memory, he forgot to also mention the thousands of Somalis killed by the American forces that day. Omar, a Somali native elected to Congress last fall, was responsible for the tweet that falsely described the 1993 Battle of Mogadishu as the worst terrorist attack in Somalia history. The original tweet noted that 19 American soldiers were killed and 73 American soldiers were wounded. In his selective memory, forgets to also blah, 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 blah. Omar has repeatedly generated controversy largely for anti-Semitic shit, but this is the second time she's talked shit about soldiers. I'm not going to break down Black Hawk Down. I knew so many people that were there, served under people that were there. We were trying to help those fucking cannibals. Yeah, I've said it. Is that racist? No, it's a fact. When you drag dead bodies through a street, you're a fucking cannibal. 
And this piece of shit is a fucking representative in our fucking government. Newsweek goes out and defends it. The liberal media gave Minnesota Democrat Omar a pass yet again this week after she was criticized for making more offensive, unpatriotic comments. In a resurfaced 2017 tweet that went viral Monday, blah, blah, blah. One of the few liberal media outlets to actually talk about the backlash Omar received was Newsweek, and they only did so to defend her outrageous comments. Several people on the right, including Donald Trump Jr., criticized Omar... Trump actually called out the media for letting Omar off the hook for saying American forces response for killing thousands of Somalis. Is the media going to ask every Democrat if they agree with Omar that American troops are killers? Newsweek instead, instead decided to bash Trump Jr. for calling out Omar, saying he says Omar thinks American troops are killer. Donald Trump Jr. says Ilhan Omar thinks American troops are killer. Actually, he was just quoting what she said. But Newsweek tried to frame him as the one in the wrong. And the linked article writer Colm Patton avoids actually critiquing Omar's, even going so far as to defend her last controversial 9-11 comments as saying they were edited and out of context. However, over Fox News Channel, several of the primetime hosts, Omar comments, and you heard it. Sean Davis, Black Hawk Down combat veteran Kyle Lamb, responds to Omar's attack. And you heard it. What the fuck does that say about her? What does it say? The world wanted to take a deed. Not America. We were trying to do it. And then the cannibals attacked him. It's the beginning of Al-Qaeda's technique of shooting down helicopters. It is the genesis of Osama bin Laden land, folks. That's where it all started, and we should have fucking made it a gigantic Walmart. But a Democrat was president, and he ran away like a bitch. But it's just not her. Listen to what... uh, Remember, we just had vets commit suicide. It takes you 25,000 years to get a fucking appointment. This is AOC on the VA. I just don't even know what to say about it. You know, it, it just comes down to what I say all the time. They just fucking disrespect the military over and over and over. But back to Omar and company. Some of her friends, sweet romance, care official. I wish Hitler was alive to fuck up the Jewish people. That's a care official. 
Yeah. But there's hope. Ilian Omar, the Muslim vote isn't insignificant. In New York alone, nearly 400,000 Muslims came out to vote in 2016. In Michigan, nearly another 120K voted. If you attack our Muslim sisters and brothers, you're attacking an entire community. We don't vote blindly. And that came from an article from HuffPo. Muslim voters won't forget which Democrats had Ilian Omar's back. It makes it very clear which Democrats are open and willing to stand up for justice. But there's people that are starting to talk from England. Many ask me why I oppose Omar because of this. Lumping Muslims in one basket and assuming all agree with her or risk being labeled as bad is dangerous. Her identity politics is divisive. We are not a cult. Ilian and we should not be treated as one. No to Islamism. As a religious Muslim and New Yorker, I will not vote a political Islamist. Definitely not. That was a second tweet from another person, and there was numerous. And while she's going on about American soldiers and those poor Easter worshippers, not Christians, while she was excited, probably, that Christians got killed, because that's a good thing for Islamists, UN Human Rights Chief condemns Saudi Arabia's execution of 37 people, expresses concern over sham trials. UN Human Rights Chief condemns Saudi Arabia beheading of 37 people on Monday, expressing concern over uh, that most were Shiite Muslims. Saudi Arabia said on Tuesday that they carried out the execution of 37 people across the country for terrorism-related crimes. I want you to think about that for a second. They behead people. These are the this is our enemy, folks. The Islamists. Not all Muslims, the Islamists amongst the Muslims are our enemy. So Saudi Arabia does the right thing, and what does the UN do? Oh, that's horrible. They were Shiites. And they were killed by Sunnis. Oh, we like the Shiites because they're what? Yeah, the Shiites are a lot of Muslims. There's a lot of Sunni Muslims, too, that are, are fucking terrorists. They're all fucking terrorists. They come from both sects of Islam. How long can Omar and the left be allowed to do this till the American people say something in the ballot box? These are your people. They will get upset about you not using the right pronoun, but they can't even say Christians. They will disrespect our soldiers. Do, do you even care, Democrats? To those in San Jose who listen to me, do you even care? Because, you know, Democrats served too. Democrat soldiers were killed in Black Hawk Down. It just wasn't a bunch of Republic right-wing fucking Reich goose-stepping fucking racist. But why should I be surprised? Because as we segue to our next, here's Ryan, April Type 1H. Just lop off people's heads. Sanders told the special counsel, April, that uh, that countless members of the FBI was a slip of the tongue. And uh, then she said her statement in a separate press interview, you know, where she said rank and file FBI agents lost confidence in Comey. She said, oh, that was just a comment made in the heat of the moment. And it was not founded on anything. OK, so does she have credibility left? Not only does she not have credibility, she lied she out and out lied and the people the american people can't trust her they can't trust what's said from the president's mouthpiece spokesperson from the people's house therefore she should be let go she should be fired 
end of story. When there is a lack of credibility there, you have to start and start lopping the heads off. Uh, It's fire me Thursday or fire me good Friday. She needs to go. That won't happen though, right? You never know. The president doesn't want to take the fall, so he may make her take the fall. Hmm. Aaron, let me go to something else. Let me go to something else. Sarah plays a dangerous game in that room, and so has Sean. The game is dangerous because she is lying to the American public. Everything comes to the White House from war to peace and everything in between. And if you can't trust her talking about that, what can you trust her about? Then on top of that, she says the press is fake when she's faking reports from the people's house. She's calling us fake. We've had colleagues who's had, who've, who've had to move from their houses because of threats. I have to have security because of being called fake and a loser and all sorts of things from that White House. It's time for her to go. This is CNN. Yeah, you got to love that shit. After saying Sarah Sanders should be decapitated, April Ryan tells Mike Huckabee he's going to hell. Yeah, yeah you got to love this shit. Uh, when it was known that Mueller found no evidence, Trump and his campaign are blah, 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 blah. Let's move along there. CNN flipped the script and found one sentence in Mueller report against Sanders. We didn't cover it, but she said that the FBI told her, but when she was under oath, she said she didn't. Ryan said Saturn should be fired over this one mistake and said that the president secretary should have her head lopped off. In response, Huckabee, her father, said, so liberals, is it okay? Does CNN have the integrity to deal with this incitement to murder? CNN's April Ryan said Sarah Sanders' head should be lopped off. Ryan replied to Huckabee, you, sir, need to sit down. You gave me a veiled threat not long ago. You call yourself a man of God. Boy, you buy. Boy, bye. As your people come for me, my people see you and will do the same to you. By the way, you should be celebrating Good Friday, or do you even remember Jesus anymore? He would not come down from the cross just to save himself. He decided to die. What? What the fuck? Huckabee, will the White House correspondents revoke April Ryan's credentials? If not, they are gutless tools. April Ryan, will you get in heaven? The answer is no. That's a reporter. That's a fucking reporter. Inciting violence. Our last podcast was about incitement, 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 incitement. You got a reporter saying somebody's head should get chopped off and the other person's going to hell. Really? Yeah, that's good shit. On the immigration, we just got a banner week for fucking Dems. The group decided to come after seeing several advertisements on their local news about free opportunities in the United States. All these immigrants say they came because free American services and assistance are being advertised in their home countries. Like this man, who says he's a pastor from Guatemala. He said he's seeking asylum because his son received death threats after having an extramarital affair. Something Border Patrol agent Herman Rivera says is quickly becoming a new trend. In 2014, I believe it was only 1% was single males with children. Now that's up to 50%. 
Because of an overflow at processing centers, if an immigrant has a child when illegally crossing, they'll be let go after processing, something this man tried to do. He traveled with a young child. Agents say it isn't his. Uh, they were able to uh, have the men admit to them that he was not the father of the child. I asked him why he did it. No tengo. No he said he couldn't locate his own papers, so needed another way in. And the reason why they do it is because it's the easiest way for them to actually come into the country and they're able to, after being processed, they will be let go because of our limited capacity at this time. Smugglers are even advertising their prices online. We found this post showing prices depending on the route you'd like to take. Some of them even offering services via social media. This woman from Honduras says she paid the coyote because she needed to find a job in the United States in order to send money back to her family. Is anybody surprised by that soundbite? Democratic reps offer free services and assistance? Yeah, doesn't surprise me at all. And this doesn't surprise me at all. Previously reported illegal immigrant arrested for allegedly abducting, raping teenage girl. One illegal alien released by Obama DHS charged with killing father of 10. Two, Yuma, Arizona mayor declares emergency over migrant situation. Oh, what the fuck? Are you serious? Nearly 100,000 unauthorized immigrant graduate from U.S. high schools per year, study says. And for our third violence, illegal aliens from Ecuador and Honduras assaulted Border Patrol agents this week. The media ignored it. Let's talk back to that high school for a second. The, the media always plays us down as it isn't a cost to the American people. It's no big deal. But that's what you're talking about right there. When I pay my property taxes, I rightly pay my property taxes to finance the schools in my area for children of the future. Other people pay for my kids. I have no problems for that. But when I'm paying for illegal immigrants to get free education because they don't pay into the system, because they don't pay property taxes, because they have Section 8 fucking finance fucking housing, how is that fair? Remember, we talked about all the damage they do to cars, property, and get away with it, with drunk driving, and all the things we've done on this show. For those who are saying he's just a xenophobe, go back and listen. This is from the fucking department, the government. It's not me making this shit up. There are states that track illegal immigrant crime but on top of it all the welfare they get and free education free college who the fuck's paying for that remember Cher said it not me I don't think Cher is a white supremacist maybe she is then the FBI we covered it that group that goes out in the desert and tries to apprehend these fugitives, which is what they are. Larry Hopkins, he was arrested, put in prison, and was beat up by the gangs. Broken ribs, the whole nine yards. That's your government right there. So the FBI is a straight-up organization, right? There's no bias? None? Huh. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm failing to see how in the fuck our government would put that guy in a position that he could get hurt. But they did. They put him in the same cells. And, and you know, I understand some cops get that. Uh, I got gotcha. you. You know, I'm, I'm with you. That's going to happen. But that was fucked up. 
to our mega hate, man who sent powder-filled letters to Trump's son, got promo, pro, probation. Yeah, that's what he got. Because it was faux, fake. Let's just think for a second. If it was Obama, do you think he would have got probation? I'm just asking. Anybody out there? I'm pretty sure it would not be probation. I'm almost positive. I'm just almost positive it wouldn't be probation. And more importantly, the media would have covered it. You can goddamn guarantee when that fucking case goes for the guy who was going to bomb CNN and they were on the street corner saying it's Trump's fault and your fault for voting for Trump if you did by voting against Hillary. I'm sure that case is going to get covered. Then we got this crazy fucking shit. This actually happened and this is once again why our media has lost any credibility any respect from a normal American. If you're a normal American and you're paying attention, you can't even respect this shit. You just can't. They're turning into Rush Limbaugh and Alex Jones. Nikki Schwab, Edelweiss, sorry, was being played as we walked into the White House. Maggie Haberman, does anyone at the White House understand the significance of that trunk, of that song? The significance of that song. Now, does everybody... Edelweiss, Edelweiss. This is from the sound of fucking music. Somebody said, I'm sure Trump handpicked it so everyone would quickly make the Nazi connection. He's so nefarious. Somebody else. What aspect of this tweet qualifies as reporting? James Steelhaven. A lot of people don't realize this is from Rogers and Hammerstein. And he retweets it. Since you like the leading post, it's an anti-Nazi song from a beloved musical. So I fail to see why you would post anything about it unless you see Nazi in everything. Einelweiss, German for Noble White, is a show tune from the 1959 Rogers Hammerstein musical Sound of Music. This is from Wikipedia. It is named after the Edelweiss, a white flower found in the High Alps. The song was created for the 59 Broadway production of Sound of Music, a song for character George von Tropp, Theodore Bike and the musical Van Trapp and his family sing the song during a concert near the end of Act 2 as a statement of Austrian patriotism in the face of pressure put upon him to join the Navy and the Nazis! Do you not watch TV? I mean, seriously! What is wrong with you? God damn! You don't even have context. You don't have anything. You just jump to the gun and say he's a Nazi. And then he comes out, and I thought it was funny. No collusion, no obstruction for the haters and the radical left Democrats. Game over. And he used it like a Game of Thrones promo. The, the letters look like Game of Thrones in the picture. But it's not Game of Thrones. HBO got pissed. He said he was infringing on their rights. I don't see that happening under Obama. I just don't. Then we got Brian Seltzer, says Trump administration officials skipping the White House dinner is attack on the media. Pay attention to the big lies. I know some folks are exhausted by the daily deceptions, the, the small lies from Trump world. But Trump and his allies are telling big lies. Right now, the most popular one is 
no obstruction, no obstruction at all. The attempts to obstruct are stream, screaming off the page. I, I guess my point is, there's no conspiracy found in the Mueller report, but there's no integrity either. So what's the role of the press in this broken environment? In part, our role is to keep collecting facts, all of the facts, so that citizens can make up their own minds. But I think it's also our role to stand up for decency and morality, especially if others won't. Journalists, after all, work with a code of ethics. We have and we try to enforce standards. And when we fall down on those standards, we try to learn from those mistakes. But just listen to, to what one of the president's lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, said to Chris Cuomo the other day about morality. Here's what Rudy said. If we're going to start making moral judgments about everybody in public office, we'll have nobody in public office. We can do better than that. And journalists can help lead the way by talking about morality and ethics if the people in charge aren't. And in chief media correspondent, host of Reliable Sources, and listen, you know, say what you will about the press. This is an event that honors the First Amendment. Yes, that's what it's about. It's an awards dinner and a fundraiser. In the past, presidents have always shown up, uh, even if they were angry at the press at any given time. And importantly, it's, it's useful for White House aides to schmooze with reporters. Yeah. It's helpful for us to get to know our sources. There's some value in these sorts of festive events. But it is, as you said, another example of a tradition that's uh, at least being put on pause during the Trump age. Here's what the Correspondents Association says. They said, basically, they don't mind either way. This event is going to be about celebrating journalists and celebrating the First Amendment. And so the show will go on. There's the statement uh, about this weekend's dinner and dinners in the future. But look, it's yet another example of, of what we're seeing. This administration's attack against the media it takes many forms. Yeah, One does. form is the president having a rally uh, this Saturday instead of attending the dinner. Uh, and I do think it matters mostly because of uh, what it means about these tensions continuing to escalate. It makes, you, it makes you wonder, you know, there's been all this talk in the lower report about the president uh, making orders, making orders in them being ignored. Yesterday, he told Caitlin Collins, nobody disobeys my orders. Right. And then what happens today? An order not to attend the dinner this weekend. Makes you wonder if that's all incidents or not. Makes you wonder. Yeah. Brian Self Inciting! So that's more important than Omar bashing American troops and Sri Lanka. Hmm. But our final thing before we go to a music break, and I'm going to talk ahead, then I'm going to play it. Um, and then we'll come into... Mueller Report. I made a really cheesy Miller Time commercial with me dubbing over it. Just bear with me because it's all I can hear when they go on these Mueller Report montages. I just, all I can hear is Mueller Time. It's so fucking stupid. Bernie Sanders this week. And I'm not covering the whole town hall. I mean, it's kind of repetitive at this time. They bring people out. They ask them bullshit questions. They don't really answer them. Nobody presses them. And at the end, they all jerk each other off because it's CNN, the most trusted name in liberal news. He opted that we should allow felons to vote. And what made it worse is that the question literally was the Boston bomber. After that, every candidate went out and said, yeah. Uh, we have to have a serious conversation about letting mass murderers vote. Now, if you're not smart enough to see, Sanders just says stuff that everybody else thinks in the left. 
And if you're not smart enough to see that they're just doing it like 16-year-olds and illegal immigrants so that they can never lose elections, you're a crackhead. You're just a fucking crackhead. And you need your headgear checked. Because, folks, that is the most absurd thing ever. Now, do I think a guy who got busted for a dime bag should not be able to vote when he gets out? No, I don't think that. But if you're talking murderers, fucking people who did terroristic acts, yeah, no, they should never be able to vote again. They've lost their right to vote. The discussion should be, do people who paid their debt to society for minor crimes, DUIs, things like that, should they be able to vote again? Sure. I think that's a discussion we should have. I think after you pay your debt to society, why not? For minor crimes. Because not to be a liberal, there by the grace of God goes I. There was numerous times in my youth when I probably would have blown and I was driving that car. There's numerous times that I was riding dirty with a pistol or a shotgun once that I got from a friend to come home because we had break-ins and it wasn't my shotgun. I didn't own that weapon. I didn't know where he got the weapon. All I knew is I had the weapon. And then I got rid of the weapon when I moved. It was when I was very young in Oklahoma. So, yeah, that's a discussion we should have. But if you truly believe that the Boston bomber should be able to vote in prison, this is what our decision will be in 2020. People like that that will forsake all laws that they don't agree with so they can get people to vote for them. And people who are just trying to enforce the laws we have. Trump may be a jackass. He may be an idiot when he does his texts and his tweets. And he's totally clueless of how Washington works, which is why a lot of people voted for him. But he's just trying to enforce... The current laws. He's not making new laws on immigration. He's not even messing with laws about transgender soldiers. That was an executive order that Obama did, and every president can do that with the military. So when we hear about the gnashing of teeth, and oh my God, and the the Constitution, these are the same people who ignore immigration laws and do sanctuary cities. These are the same people who thought it was okie-dokie just to give citizenship to all the DACA with a pen swipe. These are the same people that let Obama do whatever the fuck they wanted and never even questioned whether it was constitutionally sound or not. I mean, I, I heard a guy the other day, a Democrat, literally acknowledged that after Obama, then Trump, we are ignoring the Constitution and the rule of law because we just make it up as we go along. If you face an obstruction by the elected body of our government, you just do what the fuck you want. These same people are now saying we should let mass murderers vote. Because it's the root to our democracy. That's pretty dangerous thought and it feeds into all this other stuff. Because to them... You silence people, you take away their weapons, and you only let their people get away with stuff. If that's not what fascism is, I don't know what fascism is then. Because that's what these people are. 
to Bernie Sanders stating that little phrase, because I just want to play it on my show, a music break and Mueller time. There were real divisions between these candidates. One of them was on an issue which was a surprise to me, which was when Senator Bernie Sanders said he supported voting rights for people in prison, felons in prison, including the worst of the worst. So listen to what Senator Sanders said, and then listen to the different other positions that the candidates carved out for themselves. Watch. I think the right to vote is inherent to our democracy. Yes, even for terrible people. People who are in, convicted in prison, like the Boston Marathon bomber, on death row, people who are convicted of sexual assault, they should be able to vote? I think we should have that conversation. While incarcerated? Yeah. No, I don't think so. So, Bernie, yes. Kamala Harris, study it. Mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg, no. Yeah, and one of the things you saw as a result of Kamala Harris's answer was basically Republicans come out and say, really, she wants to have a conversation about whether or not uh, the Boston Marathon bomber should be able to vote uh, in prison. Listen, the Democrats obviously want to have this discussion about voting rights. They're having it, for instance, in New Hampshire with voting uh, ID laws. There's been a discussion in Florida about uh, folks who get out of prison. That's something that that voters in Florida uh, voted to allow. And so there you have Bernie Sanders being Bernie Sanders, staking out a very far-left position on this, Kamala Harris essentially saying, huh, she has to study it. Uh, and then Pete Buttigieg, I, I think, really taking a, another firm uh, decision, and probably a decision, I, I think, an approach that most other Democrats will take, which is to say that, listen, in, if they're in jail, they are uh, deprived of some rights while they're in jail, but when they get out of jail, uh, then they should have their voting rights restored. The, the larger point is, I think Democrats yeah. are going to make voting rights a, a big deal today. Uh, the Supreme Court is hearing a case about whether the census can ask about citizenship. This sort of larger network of issues relating to the Republican Party's attempt not to count Democrats, whether it's not to allow them to vote through their absentee voting, early voting, felon voting. Most of those issues Democrats are united around. I do think that Bernie took a position that the others are uh, unlikely to take on actual serving prisoners voting. But on those other issues, I think you're going to see a lot of unanimity among the. And maybe that is the point that that just seeing right now who is willing to carve out a bold position that they've thought about, whereas some candidates are still saying, well, we'll see. We'll study it. He's principled. It's a legitimate conversation to have. But he had to have known, as he said that, that this is a series for lack of a better description, of Willie Horton ads that are just ready to be made. You're going to and put, Chris said that to him. Chris, yeah, you know, worst, Cuomo said it worst. Yeah, are going to be on the screen, or they're going to say, you know, this is someone that Bernie Sanders thinks should not sacrifice their right to vote. Let me just say, first of all, Eric Swalwell, who was with us last hour, said firm no on this. It took him no time to say, no, this is a bad idea. And I do think you are hearing from more people in the Democratic Party nationally looking at Bernie Sanders and his numbers in the polls, which are very high, consistently high. To say nothing of how much money he has, which is also enormous. In his fundraising numbers, he is the clear frontrunner right now. And that makes a lot of establishment Republicans who want to beat Donald Trump. Sorry, establishment Democrats. I'm so used to that. Establishment Democrats who want to beat Donald Trump. It makes them 
nervous. It makes them nervous, and it really makes them want uh, Joe Biden to get in this race. And he'll likely uh, get in at some point uh, this week. He's more of the establishment uh, favorite. This is a replay in many ways of, of 2016, when you did have the establishment uh, coalescing around uh, Hillary Clinton, being very anti-Bernie Sanders, essentially uh, saying that he was too far left. He was a Democratic socialist uh, and that he couldn't win uh, the White House. But then you had Bernie Sanders supporters, basically, on uh, the, the the day after the election, saying Bernie Sanders could have won uh, the election if he had been the, the nominee for the Democratic Party. So if you're Bernie Sanders, you feel like you're in a pretty good position. As you said, the fundraising has been off the charts. He's got a real dedicated uh, slice of the electorate. And in many ways, they haven't seemed to have moved uh, very much onto different candidates. Can I just say yeah. to, to Nia's point, uh, that dedicated base, they're not going anywhere. Right. That, that statement last night will not offend Bernie's supporters. And what we need to keep our eye on the ball is the proportionate nature of the Democratic vote in the nomination process. So that, you know, you're going to have a Super Tuesday. It'll involve Texas. It'll involve California. If Bernie locks up 25 percent of that vote, whether he secures the nomination, ultimately, I think he'll be the one holding the cards in terms of who will be the nominee. Hmm. All right. So let's listen to what the candidates said last night about impeachment. Check this out. I believe Congress should take the steps towards impeachment. I think he's made it pretty clear that he deserves impeachment. I'm also going to leave it to the House and Senate to figure that out. If there's going to be any accountability, that accountability has to come from the Congress. Congress has got to take a hard look at that. At the end of the day, what is most important to me is to see that Donald Trump is not reelected president. There is a third way to hold this president accountable, and that is by defeating him in the 2020 election. So leave it to Congress and the voters, not as perhaps a radical position <laughs> as we'd heard on some of the other stands. Right. I, I, I think other than Elizabeth Warren, there's pretty much unanimity among the Democrats, which is the Nancy Pelosi position, which is keep investigating. It's a good idea uh, for the Senate uh, House Judiciary Committee to call Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, as a witness, but don't call it an impeachment proceeding yet. And, and I think politically, as well as substantively, that's that's the right decision. Brothers McConaughey. Well, I just think that there's a temptation for Democrats to overplay the hand that they've been dealt here. It's a very good hand. There's a lot of good substance. Those hearings that that you're prescribing could be advantageous. But if they're placating the base because the base wants impeachment. They want this vote to be taken regardless of what the Senate will do. If they listen to those loudest voices, I think it'll drive the party into a ditch for the next election. But, but is there any sign of that happening? I mean, Pelosi, Nadler, they're all saying, yeah, no, we're not saying doing impeachment. In, in light of the Pelosi phone call last night, the 87-minute call, I, I think there probably isn't. Joe Lockhart, who is here often, has a provocative essay, I think, today in The Times, arguing that the best thing for Democrats is to keep Donald Trump exactly where he is right now. They want him to be in position in the 2020 election because he's, he's the best liability that they can ascribe to Republicans. And, and sort of drawing out uh, the scrutiny, right? If you do uh, go forward with impeachment, filing those articles in the House, it goes over to the Senate. We know what's going to happen in the Senate. And then you ha essentially have uh, Donald Trump saying he's been exonerated and, you know, this is all over. But if they kind of drag it out, uh, you can always have that as part of the conversation. What about the hearings, Michael? Don McGahn, is it worth judicial committee yes. bring me down again in. yes it's, it's worth it's worth hearing from robert Mueller. I, he, the top of my list would would want to be to question robert Mueller about how for 22 months many of us labor
labored under the view that he would reach conclusions that were never a part of his plan. Never, right? Never, never. a part of his plan. And, and sure, Don McGahn is someone you want to hear from. There are some select witnesses, but at a certain point, I think it goes too far. All right. Jeffrey, Michael. Yeah, Malika, well, thank well, you. Much more in alignment yeah, than we were last not, week. Yeah, yeah. Jeffrey's come around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Let's just say we agree more. There you go. I thought I was going to jump across the table I right now. No, I love my circumference. <laughs> Top 2020 Democratic hopefuls have been following Bernie Sanders' lead on many progressive policy stances. But last night, Senator Sanders said that people in prison, even terrorists like the Boston bomber, have the right to vote while they're in mm-hmm. prison. <laughs> D. Lemon, what's your take? Uh, I'm stunned. As you can see, you can see on, on our faces and the responses. Listen, I'm glad we asked the question. I'm glad you asked the question uh, first to Bernie, and then we... Um, talk to the other candidates, the subsequent candidates who came on, uh, and it's it's interesting. I think um, I think you were right that it's going to be a campaign for those who said either yes, they should be able to vote, even the the most awful people among us, or we should have a conversation about it. I think it's going to be an issue. Senator Kamala Harris said that she has now revised her opinion in saying those who are in prison, no, no, they don't get the vote. No, well. Last night, that's not what she said. But yep. she, she is, listen, she can revise her position uh, and change her mind, or maybe she just didn't um, get it out last night. But I think that is going to be an issue. And I think it's, it's, it's a real, it's an interesting subject or question to debate. Um, but I think most people in America feel like once you've paid your debt to society, maybe you should have the opportunity to go out and vote. Um, and at, at least exercise your constitutional rights. But if you're in prison, if you have create, uh, committed a crime like the Boston Marathon bombings or if you'd, you've assaulted or abused a child, mm-hmm. I don't think Americans would, most Americans would want people like that to vote. You know what it frames? It frames the proposition for voters as these people are way out there in the Democratic Party. Wow, have they gone far left? And this.
the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed come fly with me let's fly let's fly away if you can use some exotic booze there's a bar in far bombay come on and fly with me let's fly let's fly away The report. Mueller report. Mueller 
The report, Mueller report. With respect to the breaking New York Times uh, story about about the White House and Justice Department, the only collusion here is colluding on this what is a collusion. This is actual. This, this, is, collu- is, collusion. this is collusion. By the way, in case you're wondering, what does collusion look like? It this looks like it. the Attorney General briefing, this the Attorney General's it. lawyers briefing the President before Congress or the public. There is, there's a group of people. There's people who do believe that the Attorney General also does work for the President. By the way, he so, does. I mean, look, look it, it is as much as we may not like it, mm-hmm. and and we could come up a different way. In that sense, he does. I mean, Bill Barr is not legally in somehow crazy, uncharted territory. He, the attorney general works at the works for the president. Yeah, so he's not breaking any laws, but he's breaking precedent. Yeah. Uh, though something tells me, at least for the midday portion, when we are going through discovering text, assigning different sections to all our folks, reading aloud what's in here, I think politics is going to be absolutely crushed under the weight of the content revealed to us that we're reading in real time today. Uh, it is, but, but Brian, I mean, I, look, the, the president and Bill Barr have successfully, I think, neutered the impact of the Mueller report politically. Politically, you know, you could argue that the president and Bill Barr have, have neutered the greatest potential impact of this report. Of course, Democrats much less prepared to turn the page. Jerry Nadler, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, says he wants Bob Mueller to sit before his committee to answer question. William Barr, the attorney general, will be before both the House and the Senate. What happens from here now in Congress? Well, it's interesting. You know, look, they have a real dilemma on their hands. And and I I actually think there is no there is no right answer. There is no right moral or ethical decision, which is there are unintended consequences if they choose to go down this road. And there's unintended consequences if they choose not to do this, right? Are you sort of okaying the idea of foreign adversaries uh, helping out political campaigns if, if there isn't an attempt to 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 put this behavior uh, on on the docket of Congress? At the same time, you may politically be handing um, the president uh, and a cudgel with which he could get reelect, reelected and. And maybe that's uh, outside the, of the goals of the Democrats here. I do find it interesting. First, we were the Democrats said, we want to wait for the Mueller report. Now it's, we want to wait for Mueller to testify. At some point, these leaders who don't really want to pursue impeachment but don't want to tell that to the base may say, we're, we're going to wait till Mueller's children testify. We're going to wait till Mueller's grandchildren testify. I mean, I do think they're trying to buy time to avoid the decision, to be honest. Yeah. Man, this conspiring so I can't podcast. I've been on the phone forever, so we're taking an hour break and we're back. So my cheesy Mueller time, Mueller time. I know it's stupid, but that's all I kept hearing because it just doesn't stop. And then you go into Chuck Todd. That's just him building up for this. Let's bring in Chuck Todd, moderator of Meet the Press, and Hallie Jackson, our chief White House correspondent. Chuck, you've been going through these pages all day. What's your biggest takeaways? Well, look, I can tell you this. The headline is not no collusion, no exoneration, as the Trump administration and Bill Barr essentially set us up for three and a half weeks. When you read through this report, what you see is Mueller found attempted obstruction and attempted conspiracy. Uh, On the obstruction, the president was essentially protected by a staff that refused to follow his orders. And on the conspiracy, he had basically a Keystone Cops aspect of the Trump campaign. They wanted to conspire. Um, They just never found the right opportunity to do so. So this report gives a lot of ammunition to Congress to keep investigating. You have all of this case of obstruction 
presented in the Mueller report, as you just stated. Some might ask, why haven't you start? Why haven't you opened an impeachment inquiry? Or, in fairness, is that what you're doing right now? I don't think we're doing that. We may get to that. We may not. As I've said before, it is our job to go to go through all the evidence. Uh, to, to, to all the information the we can get, and to, and, to, and, to, and, to, and to go where the with, and to this? go where the evidence leads yeah. us. I'm sorry. How much does the politics impact this? As you know, impeachment gets politicized, so you have a legal case that you believe this happens and you should do it, but the politics dictate something else. How much is that going to influence this decision? I don't know. That that'll come down the road when 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 we is see this what Nancy we have. Pelosi's hands. Among others, she's not the only person. She's certainly the leader of the Democratic caucus. She's the Speaker of the House. Okay. It's partly her and partly a lot of other people. Do you think this is impeachable? Yeah, I do. I do think that this, if proven, if proven, uh, which hasn't been proven yet, some of this, uh, if proven, some of this would be impeachable, yes. All right. Obstruction Con of justice, if proven, would be impeachable. And then you're going to go about to see if you can prove it? Well, we're going to see where the facts lead us. Yeah, he's a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't sound like a journalist, folks. So we're going to go through, like I said, the good, the bad, the ugly. So we're doing the bad, the ugly, then the good. Because there's some good in this. There's some good sound bites. Here is the media bad. It's going to be ABC, John Call. There is collusion. A whole bunch of them. A lot of sound bites today. But this is their evolution to... Well, we will close on. Uh, they're just pathetic. Attorney General William Barr will hold a press conference this morning, even before Congress sees the findings. And now Democrats are crying foul. Just this morning, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer say Barr's handling of this critical moment has, quote, resulted in a crisis of confidence in his independence and impartiality. That the Attorney General will speak publicly about the report an hour and a half before he gives it to Congress, prompting a backlash from Democrats outraged by the rollout. Attorney General William Barr expected to send his edited version to Congress later this morning, and Democrats already blasting his decision to brief the White House and hold a press conference before Congress and the public can see the report. Well, there is outrage and frustration here in Washington this morning. The release of the Mueller report has been nearly two years in the making, and now with just hours to go until that redacted version is finally made public, there is a new political fight about the rollout. Democrats overnight accusing the Attorney General of doing the President's partisan bidding, and now this morning, they are demanding that Barr cancel his press conference. Now, Democrats in Congress object. They demand that Barr cancel this news conference because they believe it appears it's designed to shape public perceptions of the report before anybody can read it. Democrats are accusing the attorney general of trying to protect President Trump, and they are demanding that the full report be released to the public. Is him putting a spin on this report before we've seen it. One other way, Chair Moran, that the situation is indeed unprecedented. It is unprecedented. This is the day that the conversation shifts, though, as I said, from was it criminal to was it right? And there's a big difference between uh, what's lawful and, what, and what's right, what's criminal and what's wrong. And I think the conversation that a lot of people in the country are going to have as they make their way through this report is one that I think Barr wanted to meet with this closing argument he was making. He's trying to spin a little bit here and put in context what the American people are about to see for themselves. I think back to previous special counsels, we heard from the special counsels. Hmm. We heard from Ken Starr. We did not hear first from the Attorney General. Different law. That law uh, lapsed. 
It, 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 the independent counsel law provided for the independent counsel uh, to send a report to Congress. They rewrote uh, the guidelines around investigations like this so that it went to the Attorney General confidentiality because Ken Starr's report was such a catastrophe. Uh, the lurid sexpose uh, of a president and probably did distract the country at that time. So they might have gone too far in the other direction. But what, one other thing I think I don't want to lose sight of in this report uh, uh, is we were talking a lot about the obstruction of justice case. There's significant there's a there's significant material in here that we did not know um, on the question of collusion. Now, of course, if there's no finding that anybody in the Trump campaign uh, was guilty of a criminal conspiracy in terms of dealing with the Russians on this, but this the, the chapter on collusion shows significant contact between uh, people on the Trump campaign and with the Russians. And ultimately, the conclusion here in the special counsel was it, it did not rise to the level of a violation of the law. But there is significant contact here. Uh, you might even say collusion, George, because, uh, again, collusion is not the crime. The crime is a conspiracy to break a law. Oh, that's just ABC and the Nets. Here's CNN. Just, oh, man, they're not happy. I went, I went back and read the charge to uh, Mr. Mueller when he was mm-hmm. appointed, and he is supposed to, pr- to produce a report uh, not just about charging or not charging, yes. but also to find out what the hell happened. And yes. he has really done pretty well at it, given the obstructive behavior of the President of the United States and those around him and the lying, etc., etc. Uh, we also still need to see the unredacted report. Obviously, there are some uh, sections that are redacted for j- legitimate sure. reasons of national security, disclosing sources. Of a lot of grand jury but stuff in here, need, too, that they should be able to need, get cleared. We need the grand jury material. Yeah. This report already is the connective tissue that explains everything we, almost we've been reporting over the past two years. It's here in substance, in nuance, in context, and it's there for all people of goodwill in this country if they're not so dug in uh, politically or ideologically to process the information and make some sophisticated judgments about the behavior of everybody I've mentioned here. Sophisticated judgments is the operative phrase because I don't know how in good conscience, if you have a a dose of shame in you and you want to support the president that's fine stick to criminality stay away from the word collusion because there's a tons of, of collusion there's a ton of clever secretive behavior and Mueller lays it all out the idea that there's nothing in here or that it was a witch hunt or that this is a hoax I don't know how they make that case in good conscience anymore Carl tell me how I, I don't either, and it, it, it goes back to something my colleague Bob Woodward wrote in his book about this mm-hmm. president and the reason why Mattis, McMaster, Tillerson, others left serving this president because they believed he is not capable of serving the national interest of the United States, not capable, uh, in fact, he's a danger to the national security of the United States, and that, too, comes through this report. This document now goes from being a legal document mm-hmm. to becoming a political document. Absolutely right. And the House now being controlled by Democrats is incredibly relevant to this. And Democrats are going to look at these 10 episodes yeah. of potential obstruction, I'm guessing, <laughs> just throwing it out there, quite differently than the way Attorney General Barr does. As a roadmap to potential impeachment proceedings, maybe even more than potential. They are going to be mm-hmm. careful and clear. We're already hearing from Democrats in the House 
that they want to hear from Robert Mueller himself. But knowing about his personality and the way he approaches this, he's not going to go up to Congress and say, yeah, I think he should be impeached. He's going to say, look at what I did. And what I what he did in here, as Pamela just laid out, is a roadmap, a 10 episode roadmap for really serious consideration for impeachment, because these are things that that the Mueller team concluded um, were intended to derail their investigation. And so when I say it's going to be hard for the, the Democrats in the House to not at least look at that, it is because it is, just as you said, Jake, spot on, this is a political question. That is why Robert Mueller didn't make a conclusion. He just laid out the facts. It is a political question whether or not what the president did, according to Mueller, Reaches the level of high crimes and misdemeanors, which is what the constitutional bar is. He essentially says so. He says so. He says we never were going to entertain the question of indictment because you don't indict a sitting president, right? That's what the Justice Department says. And then he says if we could have said there was no obstruction, we would have said so. So it's telling that he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to say we recognize that a federal criminal accusation against a sitting president would place burdens on the president's capacity to govern and, here's the important part, potentially preempt constitutional processes for addressing presidential misconduct. Yeah. That means Congress. Right. He, he, was del- he was deliberately saying, I'm not the fire department, because the Justice Department says you can't indict a sitting president, but here's the smoke. But it has right. to start, uh, Gloria, the House of Representatives, and the Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, has already said, you know what, between now and the 2020 election, the Democrats in the House, they have a lot right. more important things to do than focus in on impeachment right now. Do you think this document is going to change Nancy well, Pelosi's it- attitude? I think they have a bit of a conundrum. Also, you know, I I hope I'm not playing a semantic game here, but uh, Barr said that there was no evidence of collusion. No, what the conclusion of the report is, is that there was no prosecutable case. There was not enough evidence to bring a criminal case. Insufficient. Insufficient evidence to bring a criminal case involving the Trump campaign and Russian interest. Mm-hmm. That's different from no evidence. Right. And and I think, um, you know, th- there is more evidence in, in the report than, than I had certainly known about connections between the Trump campaign and Russia. One of the things that they have said to us uh, when they've been they've been doing this touchdown dance for about three weeks now mm-hmm. and accusing the media of uh, trying to uh, you know pull a fast one on the president here and a fast one on the American people time and again in this Mueller report reporting from major news outlets is confirmed in this Mueller report as being accurate time and again it is revealed they gave us false statements about what was going on during the course of this Russian investigation mm-hmm. and so there were instances where there legitimate questions were being raised about Michael Flynn, the Trump Tower meeting, these bogus things that they were saying to us to excuse all of this. And so, my goodness, I mean, of course, we're going to spend 22 to 23 months uh, very closely examining all of this because there were so many lies. My God, uh, you know, you, they're, they're, the Mueller report uh, at 400 some odd pages can't possibly address all of the lies because there have mm-hmm. been so many of them. And so I think that is the part uh, that they get in trouble with. And, and, you know, when the president tweets, no collusion, no obstruction, once again, it's a lie. Don't worry. There's bigger, bigger meltdowns coming down the next section. I mean, they literally, they're just evolving. They're just evolving. It's just unbelievable. But one of my favorites in the in the bad was after the briefing, and it's hard to believe we've been that long. We've been a week since we did a podcast. So I'm behind the team. Um, 
knowing that this was all coordinated with Mueller, knowing everything we know, they still were doing stuff like Brian Seltzer. The Mueller report has been out for one hour. Focus on what it says. Ignore what partisans say. Partisans. This report has really corroborated a lot of good journalism. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But Nicole Wallace, this is a Republican. Remember, this is a conservative on MSDNC. Is this sound like I'm a resistance member? It sounds like fucking Alyssa Milano, not a journalist now. And there were five meetings and there were no notes and there was no note taker and, and, the, and the Iranian mullahs were deeply involved. And, and imagine if they didn't investigate. You know, what's never been explained and what I hope we find an answer to is, is so there was no criminal conspiracy, a, a witting criminal conspiracy to collude with the Russians. Then why did everybody lie? And why did everyone tell the same lie? Why did a campaign who had as its cover story, we were too incompetent to collude with our press office, if they were that incompetent, how did Mike Flynn, George Papadopoulos, you know, how did everybody tell the same lie about the same foreign adversary? No one was caught lying about their contacts with Venezuela or um, Saudi Arabia or they all lied about their contacts and their conversations with Russia. And I, I, I'm not sure we'll learn much new about the Mike Flynn case because he's been, uh, they, they've articulated probably what they have to say in his charging documents and his sentencing documents, same with the Manafort case. But if we find out any new detail, any new sort of texture to what that relationship was like, and, and we know it wasn't a criminal conspiracy with the Russians, but then what was it? Because Robert Mueller spent 22 months looking at it and if there was nothing i'm pretty sure it wouldn't have taken 22 months to say nothing as little tidbits come out you're hearing these melts you get jim acosta as many reporters at white house suspected dog officials shared portions of the mueller report with trump and white house turning prior to the release well, that's because they work for him. Matt Walking. On MSDNC, Neil Catal questions why A.G. Barr would use the word collusion, claims only Trump uses that term. These people are beyond parody. As Mueller Report understates, the term has frequently been invoked in public reporting about the investigation. Karen Tumulty. So many things that were called fake news by the president and his team turned out to be true. The Mueller report is an exoneration of the mainstream media. And by mainstream media, I'm talking about reporters by journalists, not cable chatters by pundits. It held up very well as many lies that Trump and White House officials were exposed under oath. One lie. Sarah Sanders. They're trying to absolve themselves of all this shit. Slate. It's not just those beset by resistance brain who think Donald Trump is unqualified to lead the nation. Donald Trump's personality alone should be impeachable offense. Julia Ehoff, the one that doesn't want you to say Merry Christmas. One of my main conclusions from the Mueller report so far is that vast majority of reporting on Trump and Russia was extremely accurate. Explanation, because some of you clearly need one. Of the evidence presented in the Mueller report, there's a ton we already knew for reporting on the investigation. I say reporting rather than hot take analysts, TV, Twitter, and elsewhere. Molly Hemingway. This is delusional and sick and sad, obviously. But I retreat so that you will remember the names of the people who fed you the Russia hoax. What did Julie Eoff said? Well, if she's upset because you say Merry Christmas, I'm sure Molly didn't mean it as a threat. What threat? 
Are you Omar? No wonder why you guys protect Omar. You think like them. Sean Davis, CNN guest who straight up blamed Jews after a synagogue was shot up by a racist madman, is now accusing Molly Hemingway of threatening her because Molly mocked her collusion delusion and total lack of self-awareness. And for those who are wondering, yes, this is the same Julie Eoff who was fired by Politico for publicly accusing the president of fornicating with his own daughter. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, that's nice. By the night... A guy who, Jay Dossie, who thinks he's a great journalist. Tomorrow's front page tonight, and that's a wrap. Mueller details Russian interference. Trump attempts to disrupt probe. That's what they took from it. Yeah. Okay. So here's a long soundbite of now we are in ugly. Richard Nixon didn't succeed in obstruction of justice because he was forced to resign. The fact that these public servants, Don McGahn, James Comey, and others, protected the president, doesn't protect him from committing a crime. I look at this evidence, and it sure looks like obstruction of justice to me. Another larger point... Let me just interrupt for a moment, because it it certainly, at a minimum, looks like conspiracy to obstruct justice. Correct. And, And one of the things they say in the introduction is they're not dealing with issues of intent. Uh, Now that we know all of these facts that are actually in the 400-page Mueller report, doesn't that undermine the very glowing assessment we heard earlier today from the Attorney General of the United States? Totally. It's very strong, and it's it's very damaging. Now, do I think it's going to make any difference politically? I defer to my colleagues here. I've seen the polls on this president. They haven't moved in two and a half years. I don't think they'll move now. But if you are just looking objectively at, you know, how bad it is, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's pretty, it's very, right. pretty and bad. The conundrum that, that, that Gloria talked about before is going to be so real, it already is real for House Democrats. Conundrum being, do they have even more tr- pressure? If the Republicans actually read this, um, you know, it's, it's up for the political community to decide is there a threshold for impeachment. But so there are, those Republicans are saying it's okay that the president's son, a key player in his campaign, was direct messaging WikiLeaks about dumping information. It's okay that the president's campaign chairman was continuing, not just once, on several occasions shared internal campaign polling right after the Republican convention, going into a general election with the Russians. It's okay that the president told his White House counsel to fire the special counsel. It's okay that they repeatedly lie about things in public, and a lot of them lied to federal investigators. So. That, is that what the Republican Party wants? Is that what the Republican Party wants its legacy to be out of this document? Mm-hmm. It's not, there's, there's a bigger conversation, and we all need to read it and read it twice about how to go forward with it. But a lot of these initial statements so John, are ridiculous. What, is- what Mueller is doing is not exonerating the president, as he clearly states, but basically saying, now this goes to the U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, he's certainly not exonerating him by any means at all. He makes it pretty clear. If we had confidence that we could exonerate him, we would, but we can't. We can't get there. And he makes it really clear that there's nothing that stops Congress right now. Even though Bill Barr, the attorney general, has said the president didn't obstruct justice in his view, it's pretty clear there's nothing that stops Congress right now. They don't need a referral from Robert Mueller to pick up the baton right now and do something about it if they so choose. And I think it's fair to say that it's impossible to read this report and think if this was Donald Trump's CEO right. charged with all these things in terms of obstruction of justice, 
that the action would have been the same. I mean, Absolutely. he details action after action after action that they clearly seem to think uh, is potentially, if not definitively, obstruction of justice uh, with the underlying argument, but we can't prosecute him because he's the president of the United States. This was an investigation at its core about Donald Trump's daily, sometimes hourly, assault on the rule of law in this country. As the country's chief executive, he sat in his pajamas watching Fox and Friends maligning the FBI, maligning Robert Mueller, maligning Rod Rosenstein. So, the, you know, Bill Barr didn't walk into that room with the scale at zero. Rule of law w w had a deficit because Donald Trump had been kicking it in the teeth for 22 months. And what the country's attorney general did was walk in there and back up the guy doing the kicking. So the question for me now turns to why? Why? And why did they, I mean, it also goes back you have an to, answer to the, for that? I know, but it goes back to the obstruction memo. I mean, did they just happen to pick a guy who just happened to have so much free time that he just happened to write a 19-page memo saying that a president couldn't obstruct justice and that Robert Mueller, who you described, I'm sure accurately as his friend, should never, ever be able to query the president on the topic of obstruction. I mean, it just puts in place, and, and there will be a strong wave of trying to bully the press, saying it's over, it's over, no collusion, no obstruction. Really? Then why did all that happen today? Why have we heard from Barr five times if the Mueller report is so awesome for Donald Trump? We have now heard from someone who is a human shield of Mueller's findings five times. If Mueller exonerated Trump, on collusion, if there's nothing ugly in there, why have we heard from Barr five times? Of course, that's all about to fall away. It, it was much more ringing in its endorsement of the president's conduct than even the, the press conference uh, several weeks ago. I mean, it was an extraordinary political commercial for the president. I mean, this was a, a discussion of the sympathy and the difficulty and the, and the challenge that the president faced and how, notwithstanding all of that, the White House cooperated. However, he left out the fact that the single most important piece of evidence <laughs> that the president, that the Mueller investigation could have gotten, they didn't get, right. mm -hmm. which was an interview with the president exactly. of the United States. The attorney general had an opportunity this morning to rise above the politics and to adhere to institutional justice department, just sticking to what the process was that he was supposed to talk about and which he said he was actually talking about. And he blew it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just came out and to say that the president took, quote, no act that deprived the investigation of witnesses or documents when, as Jeffrey just said, the president, like other presidents have in the past with investigations, been willing to be either interviewed, be willing to be interviewed by the special counsel's team, in addition to all the things that the president tweeted against witnesses and people who were involved in the case that could potentially be um, taken by them as aggressive or intimidating. It's just not a true statement what the attorney general said just now. And, and that piece, he should have stuck to the process. It was excessive and suspicious to be pounding the table and pounding over the American people's head, particularly if the looming question for many is, okay, if that was the case, then why were there so many lies told after the fact? But also, with the first 10 minutes of his entire discussion, I thought to myself, didn't the president at first once ask, where's my Roy Cohn? 
Oh, well, I guess he may have found him today because he should be pleased with the person who now serves at his pleasure. Because this person spent an inordinate amount of time talking about, I mean, the Oprah moment of the feelings of the president of the United States. You've got to. Yeah, Joyce, it's already been mentioned around here, though it would hearken back to a conflict decades ago. We would not be surprised if some headline writer somewhere came up with Baghdad Bill Barr for what we saw today. I'm going to read you four different quotes. Put another way. The special counsel found no collusion by any Americans. Quote two. In other words, there was no evidence of Trump campaign collusion with the Russian government hacking. Quote three. After finding no underlying collusion with Russia, the special counsel's report goes on to consider whether certain actions of the president could amount to obstruction. And quote four. Uh, yet, as he, Donald Trump, said from the beginning, there was in fact no collusion. You and others have pointed out this word collusion is not a term in the law. It's not a term in the law, but it's clear that as the attorney general, Bill Barr knows how to speak the president's language and is speaking perhaps to an audience larger than an audience of one. But this certainly resonates with the president. It's very difficult to see an attorney general doing this. And, and you know, so many of us had hoped that once Bill Barr returned to, to that building on, on Pennsylvania Avenue, he would feel gravitation pull inside of DOJ and do the right thing. But during the confirmation process, I, I wrote a piece for Slate and pointed out that because he had written this 19-page audition letter to get the president to hire him, the people of the United States would probably lack confidence in his outcome. And that seemed to be disqualifying for him as an attorney general. I think that that's even more true today. In, instead of bringing this episode to a close, Barr's participation will in many ways make people less certain about this outcome, and, and it is a sad day for all of us. Yeah, it's been said before, the questions are out there whether or not he views the president as his client or the people of the United States of America. Joyce, thank you. We did. Baghdad Bob, are you serious? This is the same people that protected a guy who was held in contempt by Congress, Holder, who said his job was to protect the president, and he was the attorney general. Trump's had to recluse, what, 45 fucking attorney generals? None of them could participate because they are linked to this and linked to that, like Holder wasn't linked to Obama's campaign? Are you fucking serious? They were so upset this didn't go their way, by Easter morning, this happened on MSDNC. Uh, we knew that he was going to be there. He's been there in the past, so we waited for him. Easter services, tried to be as respectful as possible. He came out the side door of the church. Uh, I did have a couple of prepared questions to ask him. Just, just roll the tape. Uh, sir, could, you ask a, could I ask you a couple of questions? We testify before Congress, sir. No, no comment. Are you sure about that, sir? If no if he were anybody but the president, would Mr. Trump be indicted, sir? Now that you now that you finished, now that you finished, the, uh, sir, why didn't you make a recommendation to Congress one way or the other, sir? Are you going on vacation at least somewhere? Did the Attorney General accurately characterize your positions on conspiracy and obstruction, sir? 
I think it's uh, accurate to characterize uh, Director Mueller today as being tight-lipped uh, in response to my <laughs> questions, Joy. Yeah. But nevertheless, I mean, you know, this is history in the making. It's an it opportunity is. to ask him questions. Uh, obviously, he's reticent. Uh, he's never been one to really hold forth in a situation like that before the press. I've had the opportunity to stake him out when he was FBI director on Capitol Hill. Basically, the same kind of encounter. Well, you know, I, I think it's important to make a distinction. Uh, this is, you know, some people would characterize as an ambush interview of a man coming out of Easter services at church. Yeah. Uh, you know, some passers-by weren't happy that we were doing that. Yeah, they ambushed Mueller. It, it's... We just have straight-up garbage media. Here's Anna Navarro. William Barr is a political hack and attorney general clothing. It's simply disgusting. Barr looks like a teddy bear, but he's complicit. He's duplicitous. He's disloyal to the Constitution. He's derelict of duty. He's strategically and meticulously planned this charade today. When people are distracted by a holiday week and Congress not in session, he is devious. Once again, Holder was held in contempt of Congress. He wouldn't even do what he was supposed to do. He never gave a fuck about the Constitution. Every bad thing Obama ever did, he released on a Friday. She sums it up, and I don't know how anyone can read Mueller report and conclude Trump did not attempt time and time again to obstruct justice. Republicans in Congress are going to do just that. They will let Trump get away with it. It is up to American voters to hold him accountable. Vote him out! And then we got Holiday, Hollywood, learning nothing since their last Mueller meltdown, simply quadrupled down on their claims. The president, John Cusack, Barr, complete whitewash cover-up, Rosie, poor Donald, impeach him, Rob Reiner, prime... Prima facie, Trump is guilty as hell. Mia Farrow, just stunning to see the Attorney General in the role of ter- Trump's personal attorney, which is exactly what Holder was. Nobody cares. Deborah Messing retweeted Anna Navarro. Wow, you're really fucked up if you're doing that. Jamie Lee Curse, at the time of investigation, is confidence that thoroughly investigates, blah, blah, blah. Sophia Bush, glad the report helps us get to the bottom of things. Patricia Artek, Carquette, I wish a reporter would have asked Barb Mueller finished with his investigation unimpeded. Rob Delaney, I'm not counting on even a dim-led house to do what's right, so I've never thought the Mueller report would solve our problems. We will through direct action, union strike, protest, primarying, but holy shit, it's damning, and the president is a garden-variety criminal. Kathy Griffith wearing a fuck Trump shirt. Look, folks, we can still have a sense of humor while dealing with the orange dumbass. I am many times, whether you can take your anger and have a giggle at the same time, buy some of my stuff. Yeah. Vox. Oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. Everyone tells me if you get one of these independent, uh, independent counsel, it ruins your presidency. It takes years and years. I'm so fucked. Yeah, sure. Sure, he thought he was fucked. He had all the media saying he was guilty. Everybody was leaking everything. And he was being accused of a crime he didn't commit. So, how do you have collusion if there's no crime, folks? How do you have obstruction if there's no crime? And every case is unethical, it's inappropriate, but he wasn't, nobody broke a law. So how do you bust him? Alyssa Milana, is my opinion that an innocent man wouldn't say the blow words? Oh, really? You're the one that says that we railroad black people for being black. I'm sure they've said it. Patton Oswalt, this is so not legal. John Legaziamo, Trump... On first hearing a Mueller report, same thing. Josh Gad, I never knew before today the Attorney General's personal defense security. Ian Black, Barnes, McKeon, Perlman, Takaki, Prady, Van Ness, Seth Abramson was the capper. 
because he literally did 470 tweets. Had a total meltdown, and people are using him as a source. You need to read Seth Abramson's tweet storm because it shows he did something wrong. No, Seth Abramson wrote a fucking book saying he was guilty. Of course he's going to tweet like crazy when he finds out he's not because now he's an asshole. He looks like he fucking is an idiot, and he is. So by the time we get to yesterday, the media have said this. 370 times. They can impeach the president, and one of those crimes that they, he could potentially be impeached for would potentially, if, if there was evidence. Uh, Do you think the Judiciary Committee should start impeachment hearings? Do you think they're going to move ahead with impeachment? Should we impeach? The Mueller report could be a roadmap. A roadmap. A roadmap. A roadmap. A roadmap. A 10-episode roadmap for impeachment. impeachment. Perhaps there's enough evidence here to start impeachment proceedings. Impeachment proceedings. Immediate impeachment proceedings. Start impeachment proceedings. Impeachment for impeachment. Impeachment proceedings should be impeached. Impeaching the sensitive issue of impeachment, impeachment proceedings, impeachment, but impeachment with impeachment, issue of impeachment, and if they begin impeachment. He can be impeached. Impeachment? It's impeach or not impeached. In terms of impeachment. And then there's impeachment. Talking about impeachment. Perhaps of impeachment. On the impeachment question. A conversation about impeachment. Impeachable. Impeachability. Potentially impeachable things. Sort of impeachable looking. The thing that provided the predicate for impeachment. The question of impeachment is squarely on the table. And a way to get to the truth is an impeachment exercise. That impeachment is a remedy. But the avenue for that is impeachment. Go ahead. Move ahead with the move of impeachment. Go for impeachment. Impeach the president. Let's impeach. Because that's what impeachment means. Congress has got to decide if they think impeachment is the right thing to do. And then think about the politics. If they think of the politics first, they're probably not going to do it. And Trump's going to walk. Yeah, they just want him impeached. I have a soundbite here from Barr. We're going to play it on the way out. He's smacking down people. But Sean Davis, the rule report uses an obstruction evidence against Trump, an illegal anti-Trump leak, a top secret wiretap transcript information. The Washington Post makes no mention of a breach of national security and spends no time on effort searching for the source of the leak. We'll talk about that in a second. Sure. Cheryl Atkinson, based on my info, we may be missing an important point to all this. People keep pointing to political bias in the 2016 capers. I'm not discounting that, but there's a bigger overarching theme. I think I'm important intel officials also did not want real Trump because Trump and his administration stood to expose alleged longstanding criminal wrongdoing with intel agencies, not just what happened in 2015 and 16. Some officials, we are desperately fighting for their lives and freedom. Which is true. WAPO and New York Times had the same thing. The next day, Mueller details Russia. Okay, the same thing. Mueller reports latest Russian conflicts. It's a word for word. It's just like Omar. They got all their shit together. And really just wired that shit in so everybody says the same thing. But there were some positives in this goat fuck before I talk about what I think, not that anybody cares. Molly Hemingway triggered everybody because she said what the real collusion was, and Cuomo got a fucking beat down. The collusion seems to be between the media and Democrats. There's- Consider this. He's being investigated for a crime that didn't happen and that he certainly didn't commit. Who says it didn't happen? Russian interference happened. Russian interference happened, for sure. But cooperation 
and conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russians did not happen. And that was the criminal level. No, says Mr. Mueller to any level. I don't know about any level, but it's a criminal level. I do. I'll give you. Okay. And and there's an investigation going on, not for a month or six months, but for two years, close to two years. And his administration is laboring under the shadow of that investigation. And people alleging that it happened, uh, there are going to be indictments and so on and so forth. But this is a special counsel, and it was put together by Rosenstein because he wanted it separate from the DOJ because of what he saw as potential It's not conflicts. separate from the DOJ. I know. It's within the DOJ. But as a mechanism, separate. I know it's under the DOJ. I understand how the guidelines are written. I understand why they were written because we didn't like what the independent counsel was. It's not just the guidelines. Was. We have three branches of government. I understand. This is within the executive. I understand. We don't sprout a new branch of right. government. But what your friend did is not just by the book. He took it on himself to decide this rule. He didn't have to do that. Of course he had to do it. Why? Who was going to decide whether to indict or not? Congress. As a political matter. Leave it to them. They decide whether to impeach or not. And Mike, they don't you're, decide... skipping, you're skipping the big point, which you taught me about very that early is on. The big point. They can't indict him. That is the opinion from the OLC. So there is nothing to decide on that level. It is so, purely political. It always Congress would be. Congress doesn't indict. Congress can I know. I'm using, I'm using it as just a, you know, a metaphor here. But you, we know you're misleading you a lot of people. No, because we know the OLC. big audience. We know the, <laughs> we know the OLC says. It's getting smaller by the minute you now. Can it, you can't. No, I had a soundbite that's literally them saying there's nothing there. So th- some, an initial NBC and ABC reported facts. But then as they went through their mental meltdowns, it all expanded it went, oh, they're still there. CNN went straight in. Oh, it's there. It's there. It's there. They all played the who says that game, and he obstructed, and it went to impeachment by the end. But let's just be honest with ourselves. After two years, if that's all you could come up with, him saying a few things, him telling people you shouldn't do this, but not telling they can't do it, him saying he's going to fire Mueller, but he never really did, These are all behind-the-scenes conversations that you and I all have with people that aren't for public consumption. Every president's done that. We've never impeached him over it because nobody's ever fucking broken the trust. The problem with Trump is he has nobody he can trust because his own people are scared to death to say they work for him and then they just start blabbing. Because I'm sure he's a difficult person to work for. The guy changes his mind every 10 seconds on whatever Twitter is saying. So, I mean, I got it, but we would never be privy to these conversations. We would never know it was said, but we do with Trump. So, there was nothing there. And understand, this is the same media that told you a woman who set up a private server in a bathroom that was unsecure and had top secret information on it did nothing wrong. Broke no laws. But now they're all lawyers. They know that this could... Oh, you could get them for obstruction of justice. No, you couldn't. Mm Mm-mm. You couldn't. And I've said it three times. Holder was Obama's attorney. He said that's what his job was. And now you have a problem because somebody else is doing the same thing. No, he's not. If he was doing that, he would not even put this shit out. If he was doing this, he wouldn't say that there was no exoneration for obstruction. 
That's what Obama would have done. Obama claimed executive privilege all the time so he couldn't be fucking subpoenaed. Trump didn't do that. He refused to do an interview. He did a written. That's his purview. I mean, you're all a bunch of fucking hypocrites. And when it really comes down to, you hate Trump. You wanted him impeached. You wanted him perp-walked. You said he was going to be impeached. You said he was going to go to jail. You said he was a Russian agent. You said all these things, and none of it's true. So guys like Chuck Todd, who have said forever he's gone, now he's just whiny. Nicole Wallace, whiny. All these people have been telling you for two and a half, fucking almost three years, this talk of Russia interference started in June 2016, my friends. 20 fucking 16. And guess what? They're still talking about it. They still say there's collusion. They still say this. We just spent $30 million and they couldn't find any of it. Any of it. You have egg on your face. Just like... November 9th, 2016. And that's why the media is acting this way. They got to try to save themselves. CNN's ratings in the tank. Well, they got to get people back. Oh, we still believe we're still on board. No. You took every leak from people that hated Trump and you said it was factual and it's all bullshit. So, no, you lose. The American people think you didn't do anything. The Democratic voters are even saying they're over this fucking shit. And even though Nadler and a few are still trying to subpoena and the president's going to fight it. If you can't get, if you, the media and Democrats say that Bill Clinton lying to the American people outright wasn't impeachable under oath and Trump in a back room and Sanders doing a couple lies here and there that wasn't under oath, is impeachable, do you think that's going to fly? No, it's not. I got a woman nose, sorry. Allergies are killing me. It's not going to fly, and you know it. Your voters know it. I mean, really, if I was a Democrat, you got a lot more important things to fucking work out, like slave reparation, your anti-Semite congresswoman, uh, wanting people to vote who are felons and committed terrorism. I mean, these are things you really need to work out because if you think that's going to beat Trump, you might want to check yourself because I don't think it is. I don't think socialist Bernie Sanders is going to win the day. I just don't, folks. It's not going to happen. You might want to get a message because Trump's the devil isn't really working. Now, a point to bring up about this that's very interesting, and it was brought up to me by somebody who's a Trump supporter, and, you know, i got to admit there's some merit to it. The 2018 midterm was not a referendum on Trump. It wasn't even a huge wave. It was just a change of power that happens every president. Every president, they lose their first midterm, and the House flips. This is what's been going on since we've been a country. It was all on a false premise. They used a fake talking point for two and a half years, and they barely eked out a majority. Didn't improve in the Senate. 
What's going to happen in 2020 now if you continue down this road working the, oh, he obstructed, he colluded? And it's not true. I mean, you can say Mueller's a Republican, which I've heard people on CNN say, but here's the reality. For two years, you've said he is the second coming of Jesus Christ, and you sold T-shirts with him on it. And some of your highfalutin Hollywood people wanted to fuck him, like sexually, or in love with him. Yeah, you might want to work on something. If you want power, you're going to have to work on a message pretty quick because the messages that are getting out is not America. It is the far, far, far left. California going to vote for you. New York going to vote for you. Oregon going to vote for you. Washington going to vote for you. That ain't going to win an election, folks. That message isn't even going over well with Latinas. So, yeah, you guys are a fucking joke. So we're going to listen to Ball on the way out, another music break. I did uh, Pink Floyd, the first one. I don't, I don't know what I'm grabbing this one. When am I going to grab this one? Hold on a second. What are we going to listen to? Because I, I promised I'd start saying what the fuck I'm listening to, and I'm not even doing it. Let's go The Acid. Uh, they're a weird band. I really like them. So we're going to go with The Acid. Uh, what is it? Acid Animal. Um, it's kind of like... Uh, Explosion in the Sky, a band. So, I kind of like the music. And then we'll go into news. Social media nuggets. In assessing the president's actions discussed in the report, it is important to bear in mind the context. President Trump faced an unprecedented situation. As he entered into office and sought to perform his responsibilities as president, federal agents and prosecutors were scrutinizing his conduct before and after taking office and the conduct of some of his associates. At the same time, there was relentless speculation in the news media about the president's personal culpability. Yet, as he said from the beginning, there was, in fact, no collusion. And as the special counsel's report acknowledges, there is substantial evidence to show that the president was frustrated and angered by his sincere belief that the investigation was undermining his presidency, propelled by his political opponents, and fueled by illegal leaks. Nonetheless, the White House fully cooperated with the special counsel's investigation, providing unfettered access to campaign and White House documents, directing senior aides to testify freely, and asserting no privilege claims. And at the same time, the president took no act that in fact deprived the special counsel of the documents and witnesses necessary to complete his investigation. Democrats are angry that they shared information with the White House Office of Legal Counsel. Do they have a legitimate gripe there? Quite frankly, no. Uh, it is a tradition that in the Department of Justice to show reports that deal with individuals of this kind, uh, not just as a courtesy to opposing counsel, but also as a sort of due process protection for the people named. Um, there were no changes made. So this was a, simply a, a courtesy that was given to them to be able to read some of the aspects or perhaps the report itself. One of the main concerns they had about him having this press conference, Bill Barr, is that he would lay the foundation that would be very favorable to the President of the United States before anybody had a chance to look at this report. It's interesting that he did not answer the question when he was asked by Paula Reed, are you the Attorney General for the United States or are you the Attorney General? The criticism is that you are working as the Attorney General for Donald 
Donald Trump? He did not answer that question. Well, I, I must admit, I was I was grinning a little bit because I, I know Bill Barr well, and that's when you he, you started to hear a little bit of of, of uh, irritation irritation in yeah. his voice. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that Bill Barr really is um, cut from DOJ cloth. And that you could not ask anything more insulting to Bill Barr than that question. Now, he should not have gotten a little testy there. But Bill Barr is, as, as you see him, he's a very straightforward person. Um, he doesn't really spin. He'll tell you straight up. It was very interesting. But, he also referred to Congress's legitimate oversight interests, which in the coming push and pull yeah. was uh, was a kind of olive branch, if you will, yeah. from the, the attorney general saying you have legitimate reasons to be asking for these things. Obviously, the president says those questions are not legitimate. As is giving them the report, the only thing redacted from the congressional report will be grand jury information. Mm -hmm. And Bill Barr is absolutely correct.
Media Bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Yeah, this is a chewed-up podcast, and I apologize. I started this at 7 a.m. It's uh, noon. I got called away. It's been one of those days, so I'm going to try to make it up for you and do something on Saturday. I got the house to myself, but in our military corner, unfortunately, another service member has been killed in a non-combat incident in northern Iraq. Um, I can't find that release. My wife saw it, but she doesn't know if it was the right date. So I'll report it when it comes in. A pair of U.S. soldiers were stopped and disarmed in Texas by Mexican troops who thought they crossed the border. I want to research this, and this is a do-over, because the only article I have is from Task and Purpose, which is a bunch of liberals, so they see nothing wrong with this. But um, as Tim Kennedy said on Twitter, I don't know how you, yeah, no. That's a big negatron. Four state National Guards are joined California in defying Trump's transgender military ban. You can guess it. It's all the West Coast. Yay for you. A great story off of Military.com. Two brothers, both priests and chaplains, to be buried together at Arlington. Not going to read it. Um, I just wanted to highlight it. It's a neat story about um, 
the same families that over and over and over serve this country and the same families that disparage it and don't give a fuck about it. So, let's go into our college crazy. Berkeley student government, $93 trillion Green New Deal is ultimately financially wise. Yes, for the people that literally want free everything. Makes sense. The text of the resolution listed several specific goals, including achievement of net zero greenhouse through a fair and just transition from all communities and workers, including adequately addressing disproportionate pollution burdens placed on frontline communities, abolition of gas, oil, coal, promotes justice and equality, the democratically elected student representatives of every right and ability to pass a resolution of their choosing, as it always is the case, the university administration does not do anything about it. This is the greatest thing ever. Until they take away from your iPhone, then you're not going to like it. Socialist students proudly promote their own breadline. That's at uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. Come by our breadline today. We'll be giving out free sandwiches in front of MH for another hour. So come on by before they're out. Yeah, that was their tweet. They are calling attention to the American Socialist Democratic Party. Yeah, okay. And before I move on, I watched the Our Planet. They didn't even, like, try to explain it. They tried to make it work for them by saying, and if we go back to our last podcast where the sea lions jumped off and it's all fake, seeing people below, they don't have a good sense of da-da-da because of climate change, they're on this rock and they dove down. But you can see him looking at the camera. So the people that have debunked this, yeah, I'm going to go with them. You see the sea lion looking at the camera, which was a drone, and freaking him out. And it wasn't 150. It was like 20. And the polar bears came up and ate. So in my head, I was like, well, now your polar bears are eating because you're saying they can't eat. So isn't this a good thing? I'm confused. Yeah. Socialist students, don't let war criminal Condoleezza Rice come to our college, University of Buffalo. We hope that they refrain from honoring war criminals in the future. Young Democratic Socialists of America. Do you see a theme today? But their statement is perfect Dem speech. UB, YDSA emphatically supports freedom of speech, including the right to protest and welcomes a variety of viewpoints to campus. But not if you're from the Bush administration. So I guess we're not really into free speech. Free speech, once again, for them is speech they agree with. It's a common theme on the left. Dem donating professor to teach Mueller investigation course. University, uh, Stenson University Law School in Florida. It's going to be a course, and I'm not going to read it. I just wanted to bring it up. You knew it was coming. They already have anti-Trump courses. The Mueller will be in the history books. It will show blah, blah. no. In the history books, going to show that you guys faked the funk for damn near three years. Nothing happened from it, but you're still going to write it just like the sea lions. You're just going to lie. University hosts no whites allowed faculty and staff listening sessions to promote inclusivity. Wasn't that nice? 
Wake Forest is hosting a series of listening sessions for faculty and staff of color that aim to advance inclusion. The listening sessions come amid ongoing racial tensions on campus, including a protest Monday in which some students deride the white supremacy that allegedly runs rampant at the private North Carolina institution. Dear faculty and staff colleagues, this is a reminder about our upcoming listening session on inclusion that I'm holding for faculty and staff of color over the next few weeks. Michelle Galepsity, Dean of College to Campus Employees. The email copy, which obtained by the College Fix, continues. Here are the upcoming dates. Faculty staff identify as faculty staff of color. Faculty staff identify as faculty staff of color. For staff who identify as staff of color only. <clears throat> yeah, so basically you're not invited. The article cites a few examples that have riled the campus community, including a racist Instagram post that quipped about building a wall between Wake Forest and its cross-rival, a historically black university. An old yearbook blackface photo. And nothing else. So, yeah, good for you guys. Way to do serious, serious change on race relations. You're just a fucking beacon of tolerance and how we're going to fix our country. The next one just cracked me up. I was so balanced. I mean, I was so off balance of whether I put this motherfucker in lighter fare or I put it here. But then I realized it's true. Texas bill will fine men a hundred each time they masturbate. Female legislators proposed a bill to make a point and give male lawmakers a taste of their own medicine. The bill, which is largely symbolic, also imposes a 24 hour waiting period on Viagra. Representative Jessica Farrer, a Democrat, knows her bill isn't going to get far, but she proposed it last week to make a point and give male lawmakers a taste of their own medicine. Let's look at Texas Adunda women. What if men had to undergo the same intrusive procedures? Yeah. Even the bill's name, A Man's Right to Know Act, is a jab at a pamphlet Texas doctors are required to give women seeking abortions. The pamphlet, A Woman's Right to Know, has long been criticized for inaccuracies, ideological influences, blah, 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 blah. And then this article, which is a liberal article, goes on, oh, it's hard, you got to drive a little farther, you, you got to do some things before you kill your baby, and you can't kill it in college. Well, you know, I understand these things of abortion was banned. Abortion is not banned in Texas. They and many other states have recognized that this is a big problem, that these aren't equipped to do these. These aren't hospitals. Women are getting fucked up by them. And it's turning into a bag of fries at McDonald's. Take them or leave them. So they put some imposition on it. You can get your Wendy Davises out there in a Reebok and all that shit. It isn't going to change the Texans are like most of the people in the South. They just don't think you should be aborting babies anytime you fucking feel like it. And they damn sure don't think abortion is birth control. And that's the difference between normal Americans and Democrats. <clears throat> How do I know that? Well, here's an article. Babies were killed after failed abortions. They were taken by the doctor and turned face down in saline. It had happened here. Her words hung there in the air of a crowded North Carolina assembly. I've been a witness, State Representative Pat McElfrick told the quiet crush of people. She described the horrible moment she saw the tiny body stored in a doctor's office. Nurses told the stories of those babies who were born alive. They were taken by the doctor and turned face down in saline. She then looked around the chamber. She said quietly, infant sizes happen here. 
Whether it keeps happening is now up to one man, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. Like so many of the abortion debates in New York, it was an intense one, but in the end it took less than 24 hours for North Carolina to do what the Democrats in Congress will not. Step in and stop legal infanticide, and they passed a bill, 65 to 46. Of course, the Democrats didn't vote with it. But if you really think it's not happening, you're stupid. I know it's hard when the mainstream media doesn't cover the Gosnells and these important crimes. They only cover, you know, like a white guy tossing a kid off a balcony, which, by the way, that kid's alive. Um, I think I reported he was dead. I thought he was dead, but he lived, and now they're saying he was thrown, finally, after all the pushback. Even local news are doing it. Um, But, you know, I know it's not covered, but it's happening. Abortion is not a clean procedure. My wife found one the other day with a person that's missing a foot and his fingers. Because they botched the abortion and those parts were chucked out through the razor blades. The rest of them didn't. He's alive. Impaired, but alive. But you're fed a healthy diet of diatribe. PBS Frontline film on abortion scene in Philadelphia omits Kermit Gosnell. Let's hear what public television, stuff that we pay for if you're a donator like me. Is this... The whole truth and nothing but the truth? In 1982, when the first film was shot, security was light. The waiting room was relaxed and felt like a doctor's office. The staff wore street clothes. Then, the procedure rooms were spare, with a minimum of equipment. The clinic today has the look of a hospital. Anti-abortion groups in Pennsylvania and 23 other states have pressed for the passage of laws that mandate abortion clinics operate as ambulatory surgical facilities. Pennsylvania implemented regulations under the Ambulatory Surgical Facilities Act that governs everything from the width of hallways to where sinks are located to the HVAC systems to the job descriptions. Abortion care providers have come into compliance with numerous regulations at great cost, at great financial cost to the women who need abortions, and also it's limited the number of abortion providers in this state. We had to spend over $500,000 on improvements um, that did nothing to improve the health of our patients. Shahara chose to have a surgical abortion under IV sedation. You might feel a little warm feeling going through your IV site. Okay, it's normal and it'll go away. IV sedation was not an option for patients at the clinic where the first film was shot. Patients then were awake, and the procedure was uncomfortable, even painful. You're drifting off to sleep, okay? Mm-hmm. Take some nice, big, deep breaths. Most patients opt to have a surgical procedure. Like Shahara, they want to leave the clinic with the abortion behind them. Surgical abortion is incredibly safe. The woman is in stirrups. We uh, do a bimanual exam to feel the positioning of the uterus. I place the speculum, clean off the cervix, and then place a small clip on the top of the cervix to straighten out the uterine canal. 
the second part of the procedure is dilating the cervix, which is um, using instruments to gently open the entry into the uterus, and then removing the pregnancy tissue using suction. It takes somewhere between two and five minutes. Complications are incredibly rare. One of the most important components of safety with abortion procedures is making sure all of the pregnancy tissue has been removed from the uterus. The tissue is taken to a special room within the clinic. It is rinsed off and it's looked at in a special dish with a little backlight on it that lets us confirm that we are seeing all the tissue that would be expected for the gestational age of the pregnancy. And that lets us know that there weren't any complications. The gestational age of this fetus was nine weeks and one day. Up to nine to 10 weeks, it's just a small little piece of translucent sac tissue with nothing that looks recognizable as any kind of fetal parts. After that, you do see um, small bits of tissue that are recognizable as fetal tissue. Fucking bullshit. Let's do some quick hits and move it on into our lighter fare. Lalo Dagas. Charlene Theron says she's raising her seven-year-old girl who was born a male as a girl. She claims her child made his decision at the age of three. Yes, I thought she was a boy too until she looked at me when she was three years old and said, I'm not a boy. The entire internet said, all three-year-olds are perfectly rational people. They're known for their great judgment. Yeah, exactly. Vegan feminist cafe that imposed 18% gender surcharge on men went out of business. I guess your PC world just didn't work for you, did it? A high school's new dress code bans leggings, pajamas, and silk bonnets for parents. Isn't this the funniest thing? <clears throat> this time, it's parents being told what they can and cannot wear on campus. So the Houston Chronicle first reported on high one high school principal warned parents earlier this month that they will be turned away if they show up in their PJs. Repairing our children for prosperous future, Carolot Outley Brown, the principal of James Madison High School in Houston. We want them to know what is appropriate and what's not appropriate for any setting they might be in. <laughs> In her letter to parents, Brown wrote that sagging pants or shorts were off limits, that men couldn't arrive in undershirts, low-cut tops were banned, as were leggings that are showing your bottom, and shorts that are up to your behind. Same with pajamas or any other attire that could possibly be pajamas. Head coverings that many black women wear to protect their hair. No one could enter the building or be at the school premises wearing a satin cap or a bonnet on their head, Brown wrote. And the shower caps were also prohibited. The guidelines, you said, would apply to off-campus events as well. Value, but we must ask you value and follow the rules of the school environment. Good for her. But you know people went off. This is elitism and respectability politics. Ashton P. Woods, a candidate for Houston City Council and founder of Black Lives Matter. You're being racist. Oh, wait a minute, you're black. You're still racist. Yeah, I love it. That's a good principle right there. It's true. <clears throat> I was in Walmart the other day. Man, it literally looked like these two women that were sisters, I think. They were probably older than me, and they walked out together in matching PJs with their hair all fucked up. They, they just hopped out of the bed, went to Walmart. 
You gotta have a little more class than that. In our category of everything's racist, Kirsten Jelly Rings. Dogs are a tool of white supremacy and gentrification. That's just my opinion. There is research that shows how white newcomers, dog walking routes, stake out territory, and white owners use their pets to socialize with other white owners, excluding minorities. I'm not playing the soundbite. There's actually a soundbite to this. Um, Kristen Jelly Rings, which is a guy, I think. Meanwhile, the black dog owners owners would show up in white neighborhoods and be surveilled and harassed. She, he, whatever the fuck this is. Black and Latinx dog owners were classified as deficient and subsequently surveilled and disciplined in one neighborhood. Okay. So now, dogs are a symbol of white supremacy. Even the black dogs. Yeah. Okay. Getting on that. In the no-brainer segment, adult children are costing many parents their retirement savings. There's a whole research on this, and it's... <laughs> what do you think, man? Kick them out of the basement. Quick hits. Parents vote on removing Michael Jackson's name from the L.A. school auditorium. There's pushback. Analysis of caveman poo reveals... He ate an entire rattlesnake. Think about that. That dude only had a stick, yo. When I was in the Mojave, I saw a rattlesnake. I went the other way. To our American Patriots Almanac. Today, the 25th. In 1898, the United States declared war on Spain. 1945, U.S. and Soviet forces meet at the Elbe River. 1959, the St. Lawrence Seaway linked the Atlantic to the Great Lakes. 1983, Pioneer 10 spacecraft crosses Pluto. 1990, the Space Shuttle Discovery places the Hubble Space Telescope into orbit. As we all remember, it's all fucked up. For the 26th, which is Friday, uh, 1598, an expedition led by Spanish explorer Juan de Anut, Anut, Anote, whatever, reaches the Rio Grande. 1607, English colonists come ashore at Cape Henry, Virginia. 1865, federal troops surround and kill John Wilkes Booth. 1961, the integrated circuit is patented by Royce Robert Noyce. For the 27th, which is Saturday, American History Parade is 1805. U.S. Marines capture the city at Durba on the shores of Tripoli. There we go, folks. That's the song. 1813, American forces capture York, now Toronto. During the War of 1812. 1822, Ulysses S. Grant is born. 1865, in the worst maritime disaster in U.S. history, the steamboat Sultana explodes near Memphis on the Mississippi, killing 1,700 people. That's just scary. 1887, Philadelphia surgeon George T. Morton performs a first, the first appendectomy. And in 2001, the oak is chosen at the, as the official national trait. To our lighter fare, top 50 prospects for tonight's draft. Number 50, A.J. Brown, wide receiver, Ole Miss. Brown has a thick, sturdy frame, and he has been extremely productive in the slot for the Rebels' offense. Number 49, Draymond Jones, defensive tackle, Ohio State. 
Jones relies on his quickness to be very disruptive against the run and the pass. Number 48, Nikhil Harry, wide receiver, Arizona State. Harry might lack ideal speed, but he is very physical, and his catch radius is outstanding. Number 47, Joan Williams, cornerback, Vanderbilt. Williams is enormous for the position. He's at his best in press coverage. Number 46, Jerry Tillery, defensive tackle, Notre Dame. Tillery is inconsistent on tape, but he has dominant moments. You can see that in the Stanford game where he logged four sacks. Number 45, Julian Love, cornerback, Notre Dame. Love has average size and speed, but he has fantastic instincts, ball skills, and toughness. Number 44, Taylor Rapp, safety, Washington. Rapp is one of the most instinctive safeties in this year's draft class and an extremely dependable tackler. Number 43, Brian Burns, edge rusher, Florida State. Burns has one of the best get-offs in this year's draft class. While he lacks some power, his speed is tough to deal with. Number 42, Deontay Thompson, safety, Alabama. Thompson is a long, lean safety with an excellent mix of range and ball skills. Number 41, Garrett Bradbury, center, NC State. Slightly undersized, but has excellent quickness, balance, and awareness. Number 40, Titus Howard, offensive tackle, Alabama State. Howard is one of the best small school products in this year's draft class, improved at the Senior Bowl, but he belongs. Number 39, Greg Little, offensive tackle, Old Miss. Little has some flaws, but I love his body type, his awareness, and his power. Number 38, Trayvon Mullen, cornerback, Clemson. Mullen has ideal traits for the position. He was not challenged much this year, but I love his movement skills and play speed. Number 37, Devin Singletary, running back, Florida Atlantic. Singletary is the most elusive and the quickest back in this year's draft class. Number 36, Mac Wilson, linebacker, Alabama. Wilson has ideal size, instincts, and cover skills for the position. Number 35, Jalen Ferguson, edge rusher, Louisiana Tech. Ferguson is the most productive edge rusher in this year's class, and he relies on his length and power. Number 34, Greedy Williams, cornerback, LSU. Williams is a long, lean cornerback with excellent build-up speed and ball skills. Number 33, Byron Murphy, cornerback, Washington. Murphy has average height and a lean, slender frame, but he makes a lot of plays on the ball because of his outstanding instincts. Number 32, Riley Ridley, wide receiver, Georgia. Ridley isn't as explosive as his older brother, but he is the best route runner in this year's draft class. Number 31, Rock Yassin, cornerback, Temple. Yassin has ideal size, toughness, and ball skills. Number 30, DeAndre Baker, cornerback, Georgia. Baker is a tough, gritty cornerback who plays much bigger than his size. Number 29, Kyler Murray, quarterback, Oklahoma. Murray is undersized, but he is dynamic, explosive, and he is impressive when you study him with his arm strength and speed. Number 28, Noah Fant, tight end, Iowa. Fant is the most explosive tight end in this year's class. He moves around and he makes all kinds of plays. Number 27, Nasir Adderley, safety, Delaware. 
Adderley slightly undersized, but has outstanding instincts, range, and ball skills. Number 26, Ja'Kai Polite, edge rusher, Florida. Polite is undersized as an edge rusher, but he is very twitched up, explosive, and he offers tremendous pass rush potential. Number 25, Jonathan Abram, safety, Mississippi State. Abram aligns high and low in the Bulldog scheme, and he is a missile against the run. Number 24, Daniel Jones, quarterback, Duke. Jones offers an impressive combination of size, athleticism, and touch. 23, Drew Locke, quarterback, Missouri. Locke has a very live arm, a quick delivery, and he makes some wow throws on tape. 22, Cleland Furl, edge rusher, Clemson. Furl has excellent size, length, and power. 21, Dexter Lawrence, defensive tackle, Clemson. Lawrence is a hulking defensive tackle, almost 350 pounds. He is a dominant run defender, and he has some upside in the passing game. Number 20, Montez Sweat, edge rusher, Mississippi State. Sweat is tall, long, explosive, and he has been very productive at Mississippi State. Number 19, Irv Smith Jr., tight end from Alabama. Smith is next in line of the great Alabama tight ends, and I love his blend of size, athleticism, and ball skills. Number 18, Cody Ford, offensive tackle, Oklahoma. Ford lacks the ideal height, but he is very long and athletic and has Pro Bowl potential. Number 17, Devin Bush, linebacker, Michigan. Bush a little bit undersized, but he makes up for it with his instincts, twitch, and production. Number 16, Jonah Williams, guard Alabama. Some view Williams as a tackle at the next level. I think he has Pro Bowl potential inside at guard. Number 15, Dwayne Haskins, quarterback, Ohio State. Haskins is a pure pocket passer with outstanding arm strength, poise, and production. Number 14, TJ Hawkinson, tight end, Iowa. Hawkinson, one of my favorite players in the draft. He is dominant in the run game. His physicality jumps off the screen, and he catches everything. Number 13, Jawan Taylor, offensive tackle, Florida. Some view Taylor as a guard. I believe he'll hold up as a right tackle where he can dominate in the run game. Number 12, Andre Dillard, offensive tackle, Washington State. Dillard is the best pass protector in the 2019 class. Number 11, DK Metcalf, wide receiver, Old Miss. Metcalf is an athletic freak at 6 foot 4, 230 pounds. He is extremely explosive. Number 10, Devin White, linebacker, LSU. White is next in line of the great LSU linebackers. He can run, cover, and hit. Number nine, Marquise Brown, wide receiver, Oklahoma. Brown is a Deshaun Jackson clone. He has the same build and a very similar explosive playmaking skills. Number eight, Ed Oliver, defensive tackle, Houston. Oliver's been compared to Aaron Donald, where I don't quite put him in that class. He is exceptionally twitched up, and he offers tremendous pass rush potential. Number seven, Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle, Clemson. Wilkins has been a disruptive presence along the Clemson defensive front his entire college career. Number six, Josh Jacobs, running back, Alabama. 
Jacobs doesn't have a lot of touches in this offense, but he is physical, he is elusive, and he makes a lot of plays. Number five, Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle, Mississippi State. Simmons has some off-the-field issues, but he is extremely athletic and explosive. Number four, Rashawn Gary, edge rusher, Michigan. Some folks believe Gary will be a defensive tackle at the next level. I actually like him as a big edge rusher where he can use his combination of explosiveness and technique to generate pressure. Number three, Josh Allen, edge rusher, Kentucky. Josh Allen can do a variety of things. He can rush off the edge. He's outstanding as a backside run defender, and he can cover tight ends and backs. Number two, Quentin Williams, defensive tackle, Alabama. Alabama's produced quite a few defensive linemen over the last few years, none better than Williams, who can dominate against the pass and the run. Number one, Nick Bosa, edge rusher, Ohio State. Bosa, one of the best pass rushers to come out in the last handful of years. He has got a variety of ways to pressure the quarterback. No, this is America segment today. I did want to cover this because I ran about it a lot and then I saw this article. Two days before the day after tomorrow, here are some of the worst global warming predictions pushed by the experts. So yesterday was Earth Day. Now, this won't be a post-celebrating it. I'm a pro-fossil fuel kind of guy. I don't like driving SUVs or Ford pickup trucks. But this is America. Buy what you want and when you want. We're the Saudi Arabia coal. We have solid natural gas reserves. Drill, baby, drill. And yet the urban elites, the liberals, the Democrats, all those people want us to move away from the very energy sources that have made us the most vibrant and powerful economy in the world in 10 years because we're all going to die if we don't. Oh, yes, it's global warming hysteria, part CXXIV. This is where some overeducated and condescending liberal snobs decided to lecture the rest of us that we must sacrifice hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars to reduce global temperature over all will all perish. Time is running out, they say. Right now, the arbitrary timeline is 21 years. Representative AOC has the solution for the Democrats. The Green New Deal also knows a complete total economic death. Nothing is safe. Buildings that cannot be retrofitted for energy efficiency requirement have to be destroyed. Farting cows must die until the internal combustible engine has to go. It's a return to caveman times, folks, because the same clowns that said the global cooling will doom us all in the 70s said so. Yeah, you can all shove it. This green warrior nonsense makes me want to buy all the aerosols, aerosoled products at my local Walmart and just spray it intentionally into the air. Call me nuts, but I think the, I think the jury is out. In 2007, the experts said the Arctic ice cap would be gone by 2013 and end up growing by 533,000 square miles. In 2013, we had a calmest hurricane season in 30 years and the quietest tornado season in six decades. It seemed like, I don't know, that there's a natural cycle to this. It gets hot in summer. Hurricanes form during hurricane season. The same with tornadoes and the season intensity varies. It's not because of global warming. Oh, and the EPA buries this, but there's, we're at the most industrial, we are, we're at our most industrialized state ever. Air quality couldn't be better. And he links the study. Ever since this blasted Earth Day was created in 1970, the Green Warriors predicted catastrophe, and they were all totally and utterly wrong. Here are some of their biggest whoppers, courtesy of the American Enterprise Institute, who doled out 18 of their biggest flops in 70. You can about the rest in the link. 
The day after tomorrow is more two days before the day after tomorrow via emphasis mine. Harvard biologist George Wald estimated that civilization will end within 15 or 30 years unless immediate action is taken against problems facing mankind. Okay. Population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make, Paul Elric confidently declared in 1970. Most of the people are going to die in the great cataclysm in the history of man have already been born, wrote Paul Elric in 1969 essay titled Eco-Catastrophe. By 1975, some experts feel the food shortages will have escalated to present levels of world hunger and starvation and the famines in unbelievable proportion. Elric sketched out the most alarmist scenario for 70s 1970 Earth Day issue of the progressive assuring readers that between 1980 and 89, some 4 billion people, including 65 million Americans, would perish in the Great Die-Off. It's also already too late to avoid mass starvation, declared Dennis Hayes, the chief organizer of Earth Day in 1970, and Living Wilderness was the issue. Peter Gunter, a North Texas State University professor, wrote in 70, demographers agree almost unanimously on the following grim timetable. The 75 widespread famine will begin in India. These will spread from 1990 to include all of India, Pakistan, China, Near East Africa. By the year 2000 or conceivably sooner, South and Central America will exist under famine conditions. By the year 2000, 30 years from now, the entire world, with the exception of Western Europe, North America, and Australia, will be in famine. He chimed in, Paul Elric again in 70, that air pollution is certainly going to take hundreds of thousands of lives in the next few years. Elric sketched a scenario in which 200,000 Americans would die in 1973 because of smog. Ecologist Kenneth Watts declared by the year 2000, if present trends continue, we will be using up crude oil at a state that there won't be any more oil left. Watt warned about the pending ice age in a speech. The world has been chilling sharply for about 20 years. If present trends continue, the world will be about 4 degrees cooler for the global means temperature in 1990 but 11 degree cooler in 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us in an ice age. Yes, we will still have crude oil. 65 million Americans didn't die, let alone 4 billion, and 15 to 30 years have passed. We're still here. Now I'm hearing we're actually going to be done done for in the next 12 years. Sorry, you guys. We were wrong then. You're probably wrong now. Science isn't settled. It changes. Case in point, all these predictions were trash. So excuse me while I enjoy filling my car with gas, none of this electric car garbage, to get to work. Generations of Americans and scores of rural communities are dependent on fossil fuel economy. The coal mining community has already suffered enough damage thanks to Obama's war on coal. It very well could be imparable damage. It will not join, I will not join the self-righteous and hypocritical crusade that is destined to wreck the economy and force millions of American families into poverty because some liberals don't like how some people make a living and support their families. And I like it. Um, in this article, let me go to the... Uh, see if I can get this to open. There's the, all the other predictions. It's amazing. I was going to do the whole thing, but I thought it'd be too long. But the amount of. No, that's not it. Uh, I can't find it now. Damn it, I fucked up. I had the original list of amount of people making shit up. I mean, it. 
There was just a recent one that 650,000 people or 650 million people would be dead by 2016. And that was made by, um, I believe, Gore. So when I mock it as global cooling warming change, it's because of stuff like this. And when you watch these documentaries where they falsify shit and lie and they change data... Hey, I'm not a denier. I believe there is climate change. But when you make all these crazy predictions and it fails, and you won't even admit it fails, like Gore did, he came out with a second movie, how do you think you're going to push your cause? I think the thing about Democrats that has always bothered me, when I really break it down, you know, and I, I started this show as a moderate, and I'm kind of, over these last three years of craziness, move more and more to the right. Um, It's just a lack of honor. When you're wrong, you're wrong. Admit you're wrong. But they don't even admit it. They say, your data, you're lying, that's false, this is false, you're a denier, you're a flat earther, you're a piece of shit, you're this, you're that. When it really comes down to, we have heard this since the 60s. We've had Earth Day forever, and every year there's new predictions of the end of man. Yet every person making these predictions, it's not like they're living in a cave. Everything we have is produced by fossil fuel. Every piece of plastic is produced by fossil fuel. I mean, this is our society. And we should improve mile per gallon for cars. And like I did, get a better air conditioner that uses electricity, blah, 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 blah. But to say you're in 12 years going to take everything and trash it and start from scratch and go all green when we can't even get a car to go over 150 miles, are you fucking on crack? And to make that assertion, like that video we listened to last podcast of AOC breathily speaking, it goes back to the bullet train. You just look like a jackass. And right now, the far left in our country looks like a jackass on the Green New Deal, a jackass on the election, a jackass on the fucking Mueller report, and you just don't stop looking like a jackass. And you call us the jackass, because we're going, yeah, you're wrong. We're the kid in the class going, no, that's not right. Have some honor. And sell it. If you want to change to a green economy, sell it and stop lying. You know, I'll give Obama one thing. He did put some money. It was wasted. I understand it. Solyndra and all that shit. He put some federal resources towards it to try to get it going. And it didn't work. He never admitted it didn't work. Nobody said anything. It was all hush-hush. The media didn't report it. Got it. But maybe that's the approach. I mean, running for President of the United States and saying, I'm going to abolish cars in 10 years. Probably not going to get elected. Just saying. You got to take baby steps. So, anyway, wanted to end on that. So this wraps up another chewed up episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Don't share this one with your family and friends. Send the podcast to family and friends, but not this one. 
And since suggestions for segments or comments, and I'm hoping not on this podcast, F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOPpodcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Next podcast, we're going to shoot for uh, Tuesday, um, the 30th of April, Year of Our Lord 2019. I'm going to try to do a podcast Saturday in two days on just a few subjects. I wanted to get Pete Buttlig in, Buttledge, Butt, whatever, um, and his religious shit. I haven't been able to research and get it because it's really cracking me up. Uh, gay guy saying that most of the Bible just needs to be trashed. Okay. That's kind of stupid. And uh, the whole concept of Christianity and the left. I wanted to do a just a sole subject podcast. So this is my intent of uh, cranking it out tomorrow and doing a podcast on Saturday. Um, make sure you watch the draft tonight. Big day for a lot of young men that have worked really hard to get there. Um, I'm always taken back with the amount of sacrifice. And considering a lot of these people um, come from you know, impoverished areas in the country uh, are not rich people, and they become rich people. Um, I think it's a testament to what America is as a country that you can come up and become a millionaire um, by applying yourself and working hard. Um, unfortunately, in our country, in our media at least, it's not recognized as how we aren't a racist society. Because the majority of faces you will see tomorrow are African-American. Fantastic athletes. But that doesn't count as a country that allows people to go play a sport and make millions of dollars a year. They're still being held down somehow. And I've read the roots. I understand their argument. They're just circus animals. Shut up. They're not a circus animal. They're athletes. They're, They're icons. And they're paid very well. More than me and you will ever make in our lifetimes. So, uh... I wish it was more brought up to the surface of that. That's a shining example of America. You can play a game that we all did in our youth and get paid big bucks. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. If you're like me, get the hell in the house. I am dying. I can't even hear on my right ear because I went out to go do that call away and get the dog. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sucking buttermilk right now, as you can tell by my tone and lack of energy. The uh, pollen is beating me down mercilessly, so stay in the house. Have a great weekend, folks. I will talk to you Saturday for a quick one, and our full show will be next Tuesday. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.